guys. Hello. I think there's one thing we can say for sure about tonight's podcast. Mm. Is that three men enter and three men leave. Yeah. If all goes well. If all goes well. Yeah. Hopefully. Don't you die on me. I can, I'm pretty confident that I can commit to that, John. You can? I'm feeling pretty good tonight. Mm-hmm. I've been drinking a lot of water today. I've had like three glasses since we got here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I already went to the bathroom once. Mm-hmm. So I'm good. I mean, I feel pretty, pretty good. Ronald? How you feeling? I'm feeling good, man. Yeah, I'm you look good. good. Thanks, man. as always. Thank you, you too. Yeah, you thanks, guys man. too. Thank you. Yeah, I, I, I was gonna say something about you too. You guys have really like healthy skin. Oh wow! Sometimes I'm glad to hear that. I, so I live in a city, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people with not so healthy skin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, it's the first thing that I noticed. Wow! Yeah, well, I was just like, looking at you and Steve and realizing how healthy your skin is. So the fact that you're lumping me in with Steve is actually a compliment. seriously, man. Like I like. Because my skin's older than Steve's skin. Yeah. You know? Good skin. Yeah. So is skin. that a compliment to you or is that an insult to me? Let's not look too far into it. <laughs> I, I come out the winner. You this. are the winner. Okay. John, you're always winning. Yes. Well, we've stealthily said all of our names, I think, so far. So we don't like have that? to do that thing. But I'm going to do it just because I think people say you should do this thing. Yeah. Where you say, I'm John. I'm Ron. And I'm Steve. There you go. Ha-ha. And, and this is episode 135 of yep. the podcast Movie Schmovie. And That's... this... This episode is called Schmad Schmacks. Were you about to marvel at the number again, Ronald? Yes. <laughs> He's amazing, like, that numbers go up by one yeah, every week when we record this. Phenomenal. It's, it's so weird. Phenomenal. That they don't multiply by two or, or divide by zero or something like or that. It's not like it's, a... It's just add by one. 33 and a third. Yeah. yeah. We, we've done the halves before. We've done half episodes. We've hit fractions yeah, before. Yeah, but uh, this is a whole number. Increase. Mm-hmm. Well, so tell tell the listener a little bit about what to expect from Schmad Max, Ronald. We have watched all four of the Mad Max movies. Yes, we have. Um, not in the right order, really. We I did. I the... did. Oh, you did. You... I did see them in order. So you had seen you saw none one, of them. two, three. I had seen none of. Them. I saw. I remember when I was younger, I had seen parts of Road Warrior mm-hmm. with my father. Uh, but when we agreed to do this, I watched all three the same day, mm-hmm. and then saw Fury Road. The, that weekend gotcha so I, I experienced it the way that it was intended i assume okay unless there's something i find out later where like this is some weird like in between cool or something like that no but, no i don't think so okay. i don't think so okay. you know i think it's an odd series in terms of that just Ooh, just because is. the continuity is questionable and yeah. i don't even know that the movies even try to line up that way so we'll talk a little bit about that i remember seeing uh beyond thunderdome okay when I was a kid, because okay. I remember <clears throat> Tina Turner, right? Tina Turner's earrings, right? Uh, but I hadn't seen any of the other ones, okay. uh, so it was kind of refreshing to see kind of where the, the the new one fit in. I saw the new one first, and then I saw the other three in order. So one, two, three, and then four. Well, four, then one, two, three. Okay, which is you know four, one, two, three. Four, one, two, three. Got it. Was that an answer? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I, think, I, think, I think it was. I think we arrived I think at, an, at an order. Sorry. No, um I um I actually saw I think this is important that we say this at the top of this because we all are sort of probably aware that we should have seen Mad Max and Road Warrior mm-hmm. before this movie, right? I mean, we were supposed to have. Mm-hmm. It's one of those movies. Those are movies that movie fans are supposed to have yeah. seen. Yeah. So I feel almost embarrassed to admit it, but even being, you know, from a slightly earlier movie-going generation, I saw Beyond Thunderdome in the theater, and having not seen the first two films, and then saw Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. 
and then rewatched the other three in, gotcha. in order. So I, there was about a 30-year gap for me and, and Mad okay. Max films. And what I'm realizing is that Road Warrior and Mad Max, I had practically seen those films okay. in terms of scenes and, and excerpts and you know people having it on at a party or something. I had seen much of those films, but I had never sat down and watched them. And it was interesting to me to remember why and what kind of kid I was and what kind of movie watcher I was. <laughs> the things you remember? The things that, well, no, not so much the things I remember from back then, but the reasons why I wasn't that interested in okay. seeing gotcha. these movies that to me seemed like scary films like there was mm -hmm. something chaotic about them like maybe i'd seen a moment or two about this this post-apocalyptic stuff and i had seen you know people like innocent people getting beaten up or you know yeah. i don't know if i would have known what rape was when i was a little kid but i there was a part of me it's the same reason why i didn't listen to a lot of punk music when i was at the right age to have my spirit set free by punk yeah is because i was a little scared of mm. the the chaos i'm almost yeah. i mean it's like, i can admit that now but i think it's it's interesting to note that when i saw mad max beyond thunderdome i think it was i might be wrong i'm looking here for the rating of that film because i saw it in the theater and i can't imagine that it was r if I saw it, but I'm not seeing the rating. PG-13. Oh, PG-13. So that makes sense, that I saw that in the theater because it was PG-13. And I believe mm. an older cousin took me. And, you know, at the time, I guess I kind of liked it, but I didn't realize what a departure it was for the series. Oh, oh yes, And it was. was not until seeing Fury Road that I realized maybe what a Mad Max movie is supposed to be. Yeah. And then going back and watching Mad Max and Road Warrior, I saw what people have been talking about all these years. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, in general... How would you how would you say that experience was? Did you did you feel like you were coming to understand how influential those original films yeah. were when you were watching these, or did you did you you know did you feel like they were overhyped and they didn't live up, or what? What was your what was your feeling? I would have rather experienced. I, I kind of feel like I fell a little bit into this like this uh, quicksand that I find myself in with some of these older movies that have like tons of respect and tons mm -hmm. of love, where like I just didn't experience them when they came out like for the perspective of where they were in the history of movies, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, being of a different generation in these films. And I actually didn't realize how, how old they actually were. I, like I thought, I didn't realize Road Warrior came out like the year I was born. Right. It was like kind of odd to me. I thought it was more recent than that, but yeah, I just feel like I, I, I kind of fell into that trap where I didn't, I didn't identify with them the way that people that I know and, and respect the, whose opinions like love them. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I didn't experience it the way they did <clears throat> or, or really relate to it the way they did. I do acknowledge, though, specifically with Road Warrior, that a lot of movies, um, and there's a few scenes, even in Mad Max, that like you can see the parallels of influence in, in a lot of current movies. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, whether it's an overall just vibe of like the Fast and Furious series or like scenes that filmmakers have credited to, like, you know, specifically from Mad Max that inspired scenes in their, in their movies. Like, I remember reading about Saw. Um, like with the last scene of Mad Max kind of inspiring the whole opening of Saw. Yeah. And things like that, which are really, you know, they're not really directly related at all. But yeah. you can see the influence on these modern filmmakers. Um, but uh, I read a really interesting article that kind of put it in perspective for me. Because these are both movies that I don't relate to the way a lot of people that know their shit relate to. Like... Blade Runner and 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 uh, Road Warrior. It feels like a lot of dystopian future movies That's that it. came out afterwards. It falls into one of those categories. Oh, oh every, yeah. everybody's still rehashing those two films now. Yeah, like we, we all just accepted that that's the future. Yes, is it going to look like this or it's going to look like this? And that that's interesting though because I until recently had never really experienced those movies. And even admittedly, a few episodes ago, I've said that I had never sat down and watched. Blade Runner from beginning to end, yeah. but the parts that I've seen of Blade Runner, I, that that kind of 
logic completely makes sense to me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. if, if you think about the way the future is or the way the world ends or the way it becomes, it does feel like it would be one of those two. Yeah. yeah. And so many movies up to this point, like you just said, it totally just borrows from those two films and just either expands on it or just rehashes it. Well, it's, what's interesting is, uh, and I want to get your answer about your general feeling about the series too, mm-hmm. but I just want to add on that point. It It's interesting that all these years I thought... Oh yeah, that's just the vision of the future that we have. Is yeah. people on on dune buggies that have fur on them and right. and people with with football uh, shoulder pads that have been spray painted black and they've got spikes. Well, spikes, yeah. but I think that was invented by George Miller uh, for Road Warrior. Yeah, you know, maybe working yeah. with a costume designer, maybe working with certain things that were going on in the culture at the time, because you know the film Mad Max, which came out in '79 was well, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about individual films in a second, but it was not the fully evolved futuristic no, Mad it, Max look. It actually would to me <laughs> smoky and abandoned in the future. Well, I would say more I'd like a, I'd first. say more like a western. But we'll yeah, get to western. that. But, well, but but to see I, the Road Warrior I, in 1980, I mean 1981, the Road yeah. Warrior in in 1981 sort of invented that vision of the future yeah. that everybody has has aped since then. Like it's almost like they're ripping off this one man's vision so strongly and yet yeah. we accept it as being like Dracula or Sherlock Holmes or something that's yeah. just in the public domain, you know, that like anyone no, can totally. appropriate. That's but really, it, it's interesting. I mean, maybe you could find instances of it before that, but it was definitely, definitely the galvanizing instance of in the future, here is this repurposed world where people are rebuilding, but what they're doing is they're taking what they could find and they're putting it together the way they can, the way they can do it. It's a really kind of ingenious view of totally. the way yeah. that people would rebuild. At the heart of it, it's just a bunch of chasings. Yeah. Which reminded me a lot of Smokey and the Bandit. There was a lot of like chasing somebody down, you missing, running into somebody. They get out the car, kick the car, go, God damn it. And that <laughs> happened throughout the whole first Mad Max movie. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the part to me that feels, I mean, obviously the second one was the one where the future and dystopian and all that stuff started to take form. But the first one at the heart of it was just a series of a bunch of really cool chases with a bunch of really cool dynamic characters let's talk about the film mad max in just one second before we do that i wanted to do this <laughs> sure. one thing that we did with ridley scott last time which is just read the <laughs> read george miller's filmography okay. because i think that it's another he's another guy that it's very hard to say like what is a george miller film right right, right, right. right. his first film was mad max in 79 in 1980 he had the chain reaction i'm not sure if i know that film neither never heard of it uh, Mad Max 2 in 81. In 83, he directed Twilight Zone, the movie, or directed a segment. segment yeah. Didn't I get the which, head chopped off on that one? Well, he did segment at, uh, the segment he did is Nightmare at 20,000 Feet, which is a really great segment, a really yeah. creepy segment yeah. with John Lithgow. Is that on the one the with the monster? On the, on the wing oh, of the plane. Oh, God, that was so good. <clears throat> he also did a film called The Dismissal that year. Don't know it. The Last Bastion and Bodyline in 84. I have no idea. Then in 85, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome which was co-directed with a guy named George Ogilvie. Then in 87, he did The Witches of Eastwick and The Year My Voice Broke. I know Witches of Eastwick. Yeah. I don't know the other film. Uh, I mean, on down, uh, the films he did, Dead Calm. Now, he was second unit director on that. I don't think he was the full-on director, but I do know Dead Calm. That's the kind of creepy film on the water with Sam yep. Neill, isn't yep. it? Yep, Bangkok Hilton, also that year. <laughs> Flirting in 91. Don't know these films. Uh, I know Bangkok Hilton by name, but I've never heard of Flirting. Lorenzo's Oil in 1992. And then, of course, some recognizable titles. Babe in 95. Video Fool for Love in 1996. Sounds like a porn. Nothing. 40,000 Years of Dreaming in 97. Never heard of that one. Babe, Pig in the City in 1998. 
Then, then his next two films before Mad Max Fury Road in 2006 and 2011, <laughs> okay. Happy Feet and Happy Feet 2. I like it. And then he comes back with Mad Max Fury Road. So, I, I mean, like, even more so maybe than Ridley Scott, a total journeyman who works where there's work. However, I think even through those, like, babe movies and different odd little things that he's done, you can trace that he's a visual stylist mm-hmm. that actually does have strong ideas and that I do think he has a lot of imagination and he's into a lot of world building. And I think like those Babe films, particularly Babe Pig in the City, which is a weird movie, but but it's a it's not what you would expect. It's almost like a Terry Gilliam, <laughs> it's almost a dystopia. I mean, the way it depicts the city in that film. Anyway, just that was just a little diversion, but I was just wondering, you guys didn't seem to have any more bells ringing in your heads with those names than, than me. No, so, nothing beyond what you mentioned. Babe and Happy Feet, top yeah. notch. Right, well, I mean, I think we can all agree those are big films, <laughs> but even like Lorenzo's Oil, that does, does yeah. that screw scream to you this is the same man that created no. uh the mad max and created the post-apocalypse that everyone's been playing in it's just interesting i do think he's a visionary and i'm you know i'm prepared to say maybe even a genius mm-hmm. but um i had i did not have a personal relationship with these films no, until either. all of a sudden and i will say right now at the top of the show i i think fury road is the best mad max film <sighs> oh uh, definitely yeah i, I mean, think so i mean as much as i like yeah. the other ones I think it's the one that lives up to the potential of what the other ones... I mean, I think you could not have a, a lot of movies without those original films. But Fury yeah. Road, to me, felt like a great... A, it's shocking that it's the same director. I mean, it's it's a guy at 70 coming back and reinvigorating something he came up with. But it does not feel like the work of an old man no, at all. It feels all. brand new. Nope. Um, so, I don't know. Now we can get into the film-by-film film analysis. But I didn't know what you guys thought about the overall effect. Sounds like you guys agree about Fury Road being just an amazing movie. Uh, Fury Road... It's in... It's inspiring because I I was telling Stephen you uh, it it just makes me really uncomfortable that lately the only action movies that you've been able to see are like men in tights beating each other up and mm-hmm. punching each other across the screen so something super visceral about seeing two people in like dusty clothes beat the shit out of each other even on even with those old movies and then seeing like cars crash into each other. That was like a huge point of emphasis in those movies was like the carnage that happens when these guys are like pitting themselves against each other. Yeah. And even in even in Beyond Thunderdome, well, which <laughs> oh, I can't wait till we talk about there's something really cool about just shit crashing into other shit mm-hmm. and, and human beings punching each other and that something's got something's gotten lost in that. And picking somebody like Tom Hardy to be the head of that, even if he's not really the the star, which I'll argue. Well, at I some... think that's very interesting. All of that's really interesting about who's, yeah. whose movie is it. And whose I think that it's it? fascinating uh, where we are in our culture right now with the debate about, like, feminism and, and you know, you don't wanting, not wanting there to be, like, a quota for badass female characters in movies, but definitely wanting female characters to be interesting and fully rounded and you're wondering how they can do that without sexualizing them and all that kind of thing and then suddenly here comes a character Furiosa played by Charlize Theron that just mm, that yeah. just steals the movie in a sense and it's as much her movie if not more than it is Max's movie I think that's really interesting and it tells you where that character of Max is and kind of how he can relate to how he can relate to a movie. It doesn't have to be all about him. And he's never been a guy who's had that much. I mean, I guess in the first film, he has a real arc of going from uh, a guy who's trying to keep his family together to yeah. a guy who's, who's you know, angry and ready to kill he's, at the end. Vengeance. But after yeah. that, he's kind of this guy who just kind of goes along and makes up his mind as he goes who he wants to help and what Is kind of deal he wants to strike. Is it beyond Thunderdome's fault? 
Is that the reason? Is it? Is what? It, what do you mean? That the fact that he's not the centerpiece of the movie because the second half of Beyond Thunderdome was like <clears throat> uncomfortable. Just how much like he was like whatever the fuck happened in the second half. You mean of the- when he wandered on the uh, the Island of the Lost Boys? Yeah. yeah what? <laughs> or into Neverland? What the fuck? Uh, you know, I kind of agree with like beyond the first one. It just. He just is like a like a wanderer, like he yeah, wanders yeah. onto somebody else's story, yeah, and becomes like the the um I don't, I don't want to say the muscle, but the like conduit. Furiosa is maybe like the the is the first character that really seems to match, yeah. You know what I mean? Like in in when you're watching Fury Road, you are watching the reaction between or the interaction between those two characters as yeah. much as you're watching either one of them kind of on their own and the way that they are sizing each other up. And um, even though it's Tom Hardy and not Mel Gibson, you were able to take that through line, that weight of what we know about the character, and watch this new version. And it didn't feel... I mean, it almost feels weird because he feels younger than he does in Beyond Thunderdome, but older than he does in Road Warrior. Yeah. So, And, and yet there's ways... When they show him yeah. flashing back to his kind of origin, it mm-hmm. seems like they've rebooted his origin to some extent. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's almost like a reboot that is that is not uh, a reboot because the movies have never had strong continuity yeah. anyway. But let's go back to 1979 and let's let's talk a little bit about the what started it all. George Miller's first film, uh, Mad Max. Uh, Smokey and the Bandit 2. Smokey and the Bandit 2. <laughs> a- AKA Smokey and the Bandit. <laughs> Smokey and the Bandit in, in the future. Yeah. Uh, I'll say this. I I found I loved this film. I mean, like me too. When I was watching it, I I expected to to sit through Mad Max and then love Road Warrior. Yeah. And I think what I ended up it's not it's not like I sat through Road Road Warrior, but I found myself enjoying Mad Max more than I expected to. And Road Warrior, I didn't enjoy it quite as much as I expected to because it's been so cracked up and everyone's been saying this is the film. Whereas I kind of felt like Road Warrior, I kind of knew what it was. Maybe I remembered more of it than I realized, because I, though I hadn't seen it, I had seen much of the the, the big moments. Um, but with Mad Max, I was it's it's such an odd movie. Like the way that it it's like the near future, the way that it's depicting this world that's not quite this dystopia yet, and you're seeing the fringe of where society's kind of starting to fall apart. I thought yeah. that was in some ways more interesting and more interesting and unexpected to me uh, than the you know, the dune buggies in the desert stuff. Yeah. But also I, I felt like the, the stakes were more intimate. It was about protecting and then avenging his family. And, and, oh, totally. And yeah. I think that yeah. was very personal. And I think a lot of times I like early entries in series because the stakes are lower and more intimate like that. You usually get the backstory, mm-hmm. you know, where there's a lot grounded there and then it kind of just takes off, especially when it becomes a franchise. It kind of becomes a little looser mm-hmm. or more loose and... Yeah. Not as like emotional. It's just more about the sets and you know, the scope of it maybe. Well, yeah, it's like Mad Max is a story that then it gets big and and Hollywoodized kind of in the Road Warrior. Right. And then I think Thunderdome is almost like a par- self parody. It's almost it's yeah. gotten to that level of now we're making there's more jokes in it. We're winking at you more about more stuff. They're they're holding off. There's not really much riding until the last scene in that film. Yeah. He doesn't really get behind the wheel of a vehicle that much. It feels like they're subverting a lot in the third one, which I think a lot of times by the time you get to the third part in a series, that's what you're doing. You're trying to do something yeah. different. Kind of it, it. Well, some people have compared it to like the way that the Fast and the Furious movies were. Like mm-hmm. they were actually about one thing, and then they turned into something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Mad Max. I I think the second one, I mean, we're supposed to be talking about the first one, but the second one is a perfect 
combination of all of the elements. It's like the the odd characters, um, the cool set pieces. Uh, it was beautifully shot. And then the third one became too much of a lot of that stuff. Almost like the shittiest version of all of the things that made the, the second one really, really good. Mm-hmm. And then I, I got a little like caught up in how shitty like I, I, it got too involved in the worlds and mm-hmm. and didn't just let the people live in them, which which bothered me a lot about the third one. But I loved about the second ones. It was it was like sure it was near the end and was all that stuff, but it was just them functioning in it rather than them being like, look, these people are really odd. Mm-hmm. These people are really odd in this world. Yeah. There's a midget in this world. There's a there's a tall man. It's, <laughs> it it became too much about them focusing on how odd the world was and just them living in it which i really really loved about the first and the second one. well so many of the villain like you're talking about master blaster which yeah. is like yeah. i love and hate that because it's like that lo- it sounds like something a, a five-year-old would come up with you know and a oh, lot of the villains yeah. have names like that and a lot of the the stuff that's going on in these films has that quality where it's like you know johnny the boy in the first film and, yeah and toe cutter, toe cutter and to, well yeah. toe cutter i mean i was thinking we might do a little compare and contrast with the villains in a minute but um you know, Master Blaster to me is the kind of thing you would have come up with and you would have drawn on your notebook or something. Where it's yeah. like, this guy's a, a little guy and he sits on the shoulders of this guy and he's the brain and he's the brawn. I mean, that's the kind of thing that I, I love that that kind of silly, weird idea is in there. But I do think that you're right that in Beyond Thunderdome, it generally is more shrill and kind of amped up. Yeah. And it feel, it's like even the, the music, like if you listen to the music at the beginning of the first two films, it's this moody music that comes in and it's very like... You know, 1979, 1981, I guess. They, 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 it wasn't quite the 80s yet. Like, even though it was 81, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't quite the 80s yet. So both Mad Max and Road Warrior have these moody openings. When it gets to the beginning of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, yeah. like, the, the, the font isn't as cool. Yeah. It's the uh, the music is like this. Bi- I mean, like you can tell that between eighty one and eighty five, when they made Thunderdome, like the eighties happened. Yeah. Right down to, I mean, of course, Tina Turner's in it in full eighties mode. But it, beyond that, I even feel like the world's fascination with Australia happened because in the third one, like suddenly in the soundtrack, in the first few seconds, there's like didgeridoos yeah. and all this stuff. And but whereas in the early ones, it didn't feel like they were piling it on quite so yeah. thick. I almost feel like I haven't heard this, but a friend and I have a theory that Mel Gibson. Heavily influenced the kind of lighter, more comic uh, tone of Beyond Thunderdome because that kind of seems like his thing, you know, <laughs> to be like the wisecracker. But that is a total. I mean, it feels different. It's just a different tone than the other films. Yeah. And I think that I don't know how I would have felt going to see that film if I had seen the other two. I do know that a lot of people that are fans of the original ones are are, are really down on Thunderdome. If you look at like Rotten Tomatoes, it's you know it's like in the eighties or something. I don't think it's like a it's not like a hated film and it wasn't yeah. a flop. But I think a lot of people view the first two as the real movies, Thunderdome as the kind of botched job, and then we're excited about the notion of this new one being like a redemption of the the series, you know? I feel like Thunderdome feels incomplete to me. Like, yeah, or, yeah. Or, or it feels yeah. like a Frankenstein of a movie to me. Like, it totally. feels completely... Like, two different two movies. movies. Yeah. Well, and, I, and I read that it actually was, at some point, like, Holy he had shit. a separate idea for a movie that was kind of like a a spin on the whole, like, Neverland thing, like, oh, with the Lost wow. Boys, which was the whole second half of Thunderdome. And I feel like it had that not been the second and third act or the third act, I feel like Thunderdome might have felt a little different. I mean, yeah, you know, it's like, you know, absolutely. all just speculation. But I didn't hate Thunderdome Neither. up until that point. No, and I was going to say. And then I disliked it from that yeah. from then on. But um, I, I was going to just say, like, I feel like that about specifically about Thunderdome because 
I think I feel like that to me there felt like there was sort of a natural progression in terms of the world, you know, either leaving it behind or making it something new mm. by the time Thunderdome comes around. Right. And like there is this world where there's this genius or this brain that like found a way to live off a of pig shit, you know, and it's <laughs> like it that seems like what would have to happen if it truly was, you know, this post apocalypse when oil is no longer water is scared, you know, like there would have to be like sections that either decide to do that or they just completely just die or yeah. die off rather. But um, but yeah, the second half of that really kind of just ruined it for me. So I mean, that, that positivity to me, like that I had for the first like maybe forty minutes. Yeah. I think it's almost was, it's almost right right in the halfway point. But right, you, but you might be right. It might be like more like fifteen minutes in. Yeah, and there's an hour left. It just it just feels completely different to me. Yeah, yeah. totally different movie. The, the the one big takeaway, like this is just an overall feeling watching those films and going back and seeing really where Mel Gibson came from it reminded me like I used to fucking love Mel Gibson yeah I think I think we all did like he <laughs> it, like specifically the first two oh he's so he good. is such a he was a star yeah he was so charismatic and like I don't I don't even know the perspective of what he was and and, and what he had going on when when Mad Max and, and, and Road Warrior came out just two years apart mm-hmm but I mean, that's the kind of like watching that movie, even me knowing that these movies are 30 some years old, like you long to watch a movie now where there's a star like that in the movie. You're like, that guy's going to be a fucking star. Well, yeah. what's funny is because I Max... felt that way about him in both those movies, even yeah. knowing how like crazy yeah, he got and like, definitely. you know, people don't like him or whatever anymore. Well, in the, in the two years between those two films, it's like he went from this baby faced boy to looking like Mel Gibson. Yes. Like in Roadway, he looks like Mel Gibson. Yes. Yeah. In the first one, he looks like a little <laughs> soft-faced baby boy. Yeah. I mean, it's very, very yeah. strange, but it's strange seeing him that young. I had forgotten how young he looked in that, but there's still some iconic shots of him like in the full leathers, even yeah. though it's so silly. Like, I, even that tie concept, one thing you can say, George Miller comes up with a lot of ideas feeding into these worlds. It's like, these aren't the police working out of the police department. This is the, what are they called? The... um. There's a name for their force. Uh, 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 the main force patrol, the MFP. <laughs> yeah. uh, and they work out of the Hall of Justice in their, in their vehicles that have different names. And, you know, it's a different system. Yeah. But it's like a vaguely, you can tell it's a futuristic world where the police station is this kind of bombed out looking thing. And, you know, the cops are wearing these full leathers and, and everything. So it is, it is a different world. But, right. it's, but it's not pegged in this far flung dystopia like the second one. Right. And I found that again. I, I I did not remember that there was that there was that point in these films. So watching Mad Max, I was really taken by the, the kind of it was super reminiscent of a western where it's just this. There's this gang of bad guys that come into town and they start messing stuff up, and the yeah. law has to figure out what to do about it. And and awful things happen along the way, but in the end, it's you know, it's uh, uh you know protect your protect your family and and stand for what's right or whatever kind of stuff. Yeah, how he yeah. becomes the character that we know later. Um, and I really enjoyed that. And I, and I think as much as the villains of the later films were these, these large over-the-top characters like Lord Humongous and, and so forth, until, until you take Immortan Joe into the equation, who was just a great villain, yeah. I think Toe Cutter was the best villain out of the first three films. There's just something... I like him. I like how he was just this... He was like that creepy guy who you don't know... Well, for instance, there's a scene in Mad Max where Toe Cutter's gang has come to the house where they're staying, and Mad Max is out, I don't know, playing around in the woods with the big guy. I don't know. I can't remember where he went. But the wife oh, and the yeah. baby are back at the house, and like the little old lady with the gun is there, yeah. and it's like a standoff between the little old lady and the gang. 
And before the little lady comes out and starts shooting, you don't really know what Toe Cutter wants. Like, you don't know. He's about to make a deal with her. Maybe he's going to just kill her or whatever. But Toe Cutter seems like he's about to explain what he wants from the from the wife, from Max's wife. Mm-hmm. And there's this, this, like, it's a moment where you don't know what's going on. And it's tense because, I mean, I knew from the history of these films, I knew those two characters don't make it. So I was like, is this the scene where the wife and the kid die? And then the old lady comes out and shoots. But at the moment she shoots... It's like she was taking a, a bad situation and ramping it up into something else. Yeah. And I just had this brief moment of going like, I, I you know, th- at that point, we don't get any more real scenes of Toe Cutter like talking like that. So at no point do you really know what his, what his kind of mission was. Because there does seem to be some difference of opinion in the gang. There's yeah. certain members of the gang that are like crazy and just <laughs> out of control. It's so funny, these guys in these movies, like, these gangs, there's always like, they come out of a place, there's always some guy like doing a somersault and going, yeah. <laughs> It's, and you know, dancing and dancing and, and yeah, so it's just so like theatrical and stuff yeah. but like you don't know what like there seemed to be some difference and even his right hand man the guy with the bleached hair the you know uh what was his name i don't know <laughs> we should know their names better um uh bubba zanetti the guy who wore the silver helmet yeah <laughs> he, he's got a different attitude he seems like more methodical than toe cutter but he doesn't he actually seems more brutal in a strange way yeah. like toe cutter seems like I don't know. I just thought that was interesting that you don't really get inside the psychology of this character, but it does feel like a developed character and like a world where George Miller, again, not to give him too much credit, but I think what he does is he creates this world and he has backstory and story behind all of it, but he doesn't put all of the story on the screen. He doesn't put all the, he doesn't put all this exposition in the mouths of the characters. He lets action take the control of the story and i've heard people say that uh, the first two films are like silent films like you could watch a silent version of them and it would work and in most cases it's It's true like you really can there's a lot of very visual storytelling and we talk about that all the time on this show like wanting to see more cinematic storytelling so it's it's fun sometimes to watch an old movie like that and remember that before you had all these effects and everything even though i love the current crop of effects movies you kind of had to have a story. You kind of had to have like an idea for something people hadn't seen before yeah. or an angle people hadn't seen before rather than it just being, we're going to do a great job of depicting these events that everyone can picture in their head. It was like, well, here's something you haven't seen on screen before and th- you're going to see this movie because, right. like you were saying, Ronald, those stunts, there's crazy shit that happens crazy. in this film. There's so many cars being flattened, like <laughs> smashed to the point where they're like almost in half. Yeah. Um, I think one of the coolest, I, it was weird cause I didn't, I didn't know his motivation either. Sometimes like when he, when they first come into the town and they're yelling and they see that older man and they're like, so when's the next train coming? And he yeah. says, when the train's coming, he's like, take him away. I didn't remember goose at all. Like, I, I guess maybe I had some knowledge of that character, but I didn't realize he had a sort of a friend who he, he, you know, even before his, his family got killed that he was also kind of avenging his not quite partner, but you know, right. his friend on yeah. the force. Um, and that's a pretty nasty fate. The way that guy gets, he's just all gnarled up and he's apparently horrible to look at. Yeah. And I love that, like, they don't sugarcoat it. It's not like Max comes out of there going, it's such a tragedy. He's still alive in there somewhere. He's like, that thing in there is not, is not Goose, you know? <laughs> kind of insensitive about it. But, um, no, it's very, you know, and it's interesting, too. It's that vision of, the, and also I love that the police chief, you know, he, he's feeling like he can't continue working, Max is, after seeing his partner get all burned up. And the police chief comes out in like a scarf with a little plastic watering can and tells him to take a vacation and go draw flowers. So he said, grow a beard, draw some flowers for a while. And in any other movie, I would think, oh, he's mocking him. 
But in this movie, I'm like, no, maybe the guy yeah, is he's actually legit. Yeah. Yeah, he's actually saying go draw some flowers, you know. But that's just it. Just it's those little hints that this is not the world we know, but it's not quite all the way to the world I was picturing. Yeah. I think that made uh, the first one really interesting to watch. Yeah. In a way that when I started watching Road Warrior, which as entertaining as it is, I didn't feel that same sense of like surprise when I was watching it because it is the prototypical. Like this is the movie when you were saying a minute ago, Steve, about like you know as influential as Mad Max may have been, Road Warrior is the one where it really yeah. it all came to a head, and they had I guess more money to visualize certain things in a bigger a bigger world, but it also was more less relatable in a strange way because it is Max, just like you said, Steve, stumbling onto someone else's story. Yeah. Second one. So the second one is we agree is a the favorite. Well, I, my favorite is Fury Road. Fury Road? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Fury Road is the favorite for me, but the second one, if you can't, it's it's almost like you can't, it's almost not fair, because you would definitely not have Fury Road, and as well as a, a ton of other movies, if you didn't have Road Warrior. If we're looking at the first three, I would actually be, I'd actually be hard-pressed to say which one of the first two I like better, because the first one is more of a human story, and even though it, there's lots of weird moments in that movie. There's lots of moments where the score is really crazy and bombastic and almost has a mood that doesn't convey the mood that's on the screen, you know? <laughs> so it's like sometimes that one, there, there's a certain kind of indie putting it together, uh, less uh, competent <laughs> craftsmanship in that first one that I find really charming. Uh, in the, whereas the second one, they've worked a lot of those kinks out, you know? Yeah. So. But I don't know. I almost would put them on equal footing, actually, in my mind. They, they, they both were very... It was fun to finally see them, and I found them really pleasurable to, to watch, really. just It made it really made Thunderdome a drag to have felt that way, too, coming off the other <laughs> yeah. two, going, well, yeah. hey, maybe Thunderdome will be fun, too, you know? Yeah. Thunderdome was a hard, hard watch. I hate to s skip over the second one, but it was... Second, second half was hard. And then the language that the kids had... Whatever that was, whatever that language was that they made up, was very hard to listen to. Well, let's not skimp totally on the second one because I have a feeling if we start talking about Thunderdome, okay. there's no coming back. From yeah. Thunderdome. Uh, but uh, I don't know. Like, what did you think of the villains in that? Did you think like Lord Humongous is a really crazy <laughs> villain? I mean, it really should not work. But it's I like the fact that he's kind of articulate. Like when he when he speaks, he's not he doesn't look like a guy who would string a sentence together. But yeah. he has like a vaguely like scandinavian accent and he's sort of i will let you go you know like he's making a deal with the people but he's a giant muscle-bound guy yeah. with a with a i don't know a, a metal hockey mask welded onto his head that looks all deformed it looks like jason Voorhees, essentially yeah it does and he's wearing like a, a leather bikini yeah. he just does not seem like the kind of guy who would say a sentence you know but, no. he, but he does and then his henchman who was the guy i, I always picture which is wes yeah and that's the guy with Wells. the mohawk who um I just know him from Weird Science. Yeah, that's what I, <laughs> okay. When I when I saw him, I was like, well, that's kind of Weird Science. Oh, okay, yeah. I yeah, guess he like crashed the party. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's true. That's interesting. But he's got his the boy the the golden youth. Yeah, is his friend. All these names are just crazy. crazy they really names. are. And it brought right on through to the the new film. It, it, I think somehow George Miller has this knack for coming up with these these names that are all kind of different and weird, and they do kind of sound like a new way of using language that it's a it's a world of people putting together the pieces yeah how did you relate road warrior to the first one in terms of the timeline oh okay so i actually heard an interview with george miller talking about 
what all the Mad Maxes meant and, okay. and how Fury Road kind of fits into all of it. I would love to hear that. So he basically said No, that, I mean, I'd love to hear that interview. <laughs> oh, he basically said it's like mythology. Mm-hmm. Like not, like some of them, obviously the second and the third one are more closely related than the first and the second. But they're just tales about a man. So like he could, he could be black next movie. He could be... Uh, tall, seven foot tall, and it's it's just like these tales that someone's so telling it's like about James him. Bond in his mind. Yeah, yeah, like these tales that someone's telling about a person with vague similarities, basically. So that that gives him the freedom to kind of make it whatever he wants if he decides to keep him the same or change him in you the what, next one. You know what other series did that is uh, Evil Dead series because yeah. Oh, yeah. the first movie is a straight story. And this, it's even more straight. I mean, it's goofy and cheap, but it's more straight than the second one. Yeah. The second one, they they kind of hit that comic slapstick tone. Yeah. And in the first part of that is a retelling of the first movie, Maybe. but it goes differently. Yeah. And then the third one starts with essentially a retelling of the second movie, but <laughs> right. with characters pulled away. I I used to think, oh, that's because they were doing the best they could, and every time they were making the new one, yeah. they were kind of reintroducing it to a new audience. But I also think there's a certain kind of gleeful like thumbing their nose at like saying to you hey all you continuity nerds out there this movie's not for you this movie's about the experience and about the vibe and with yeah. mad max maybe you could say it's the same way like it's more about getting into this mindset and understanding this attitude than it is about trying to put together what's the next adventure in this character's life you yeah. know because i i found i like being freed from that you know right down to the fact that the same car kind of seems to course through the films but come to him in different ways and yeah. always gets he never spends as much time as i would have thought you know <laughs> driving the dodge <laughs> interceptor car, yeah. uh, well the first movie is almost like the origin of how he gets the car but then he quickly loses the car in the second one and then does the third one does he have the car at all in the third one i don't think so don't isn't it there but like in the third one it's booby trapped again, and I thought that it was there. Oh, man, but now I'm getting, now I'm gonna get. I'm, it's, it's starting it's, to blur it again. It's the there in is, the third one. In the third one, if you just want to think, am I picturing a scene from the third one? Because uh, Master Blaster does Mel Gibson wanna... have the worst wig that's ever been filmed? Yeah. <laughs> if so then it's the first half of Beyond Thunderdome. <laughs> Are there a lot of annoying kids around speaking gibberish? If so, then yes. it's the second half of Beyond Thunderdome. Right, right. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I do think that's kind of kind of interesting and fun. And even the music box in Fury Road, there's a music box that's not the same music box that he plays in Road in Warrior, Warrior, but it's a nod to it. Yeah. And I would even say in Fury Road, don't we get flashes of his kid? And it's not a kid who's like the age or yeah. seemingly even the gender. Is, yeah, is it a little girl, girl in like Fury a Road? Girl, yeah. So obviously there's been a re-envisioning. And so maybe we can marvel at the fact that it's the same director who's done all these films. I will give George Miller credit and say that when he directed uh, Beyond Thunderdome, he was, I don't know if you read this, but he, he co-directed with George Ogilvy, And the reason it was co-directed was because his production partner, Byron Kennedy, had died in a helicopter crash oh, wow. actually scouting locations in 1983 for what would become Beyond Thunderdome. So George Miller had a hard time remounting that production and so he said he doesn't really remember that much about the process i'm I'm a wikipedia expert on this topic Mm. but that he doesn't the process of that film is different from the other ones to him because he was kind of doing it to get over his grief so i will excuse i will say beyond thunderdome does not seem like the work of as focused of a of a creator and i think that might be why yeah sure but definitely but that being said um that you know that idea of kind of reinventing the character 
I, I've read somewhere that Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome is supposed to take place 15 years after Road the events Warrior. of Road Warrior. Yeah. Mm. Did that say it in the film at all? Or was no. there any... Okay, so these are things you would only have to dig around. You, you would almost have to dig around to even know. Yeah, like a, like a, an interview or like a filmmaker yeah. interview. I think like I read that Road Warrior is 10 years after and Thunderdome was 15 years. So okay. one to three is 25 years later. It almost seems like the wow. war that's described in the opening narration of Road Warrior, though, hasn't happened yet in Mad Max, but I guess it has. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, almost yeah, seems like right. that is not yeah. right. the world, that does not feel like the world after the atomic war has happened. Right, yeah, no, that's a good point. But um, can you imagine if you were a big fan of those first two movies? To watch Going to watch movie? Beyond Thunderdome and being how excited, like, oh, I can't, I mean, I, it wouldn't quite be like Phantom Menace levels, but right. it would probably, there was a sinking feeling, maybe right around the time the kids show up like yeah. the haircut's depressing yeah. for the whole first half it's pretty but some of the shitty. stuff in the first half is kind of fun the saxophone scene was kind of weird though oh man the saxophone what the hell because i thought that was just the soundtrack of the movie and then they they, they pan over it. to this guy he's like Whoa. well remember in mad max he's sitting there there's a scene of him at home and he's sitting at the bar like at his, and his, in his kitchen is... he's and you hear sax music and then it cuts to her playing the sax <laughs> yeah. and it's almost like a, a, a zucker abram zucker style joke yeah where you hear the music and then you realize someone in the room is playing it <laughs> i think the movies are full of little beats like that but beyond yeah. thunderdome is definitely the one where you feel again i feel Feel the presence of Mel Gibson saying, "Hey, I know how we can make this funny." You know, like um, that was my Mel Gibson impression. Yeah. That was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I, like it. I wanted to hear more <laughs> Aussie in there. You know, he he's weird because he's like not full on Aussie. Like I, I don't know, was he born there and then grew up in the states or vice versa? But it's one of those weird things where he like maybe he was born in New York and then grew up over there. So he's a weird yeah. guy and he's racist and he's hates racist. his wife and wants to bury her in the rose uh, garden or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> how interesting. But I, I still would love to see now that we've talked about this. A, it's crazy that Beyond Thunderdome was 30 years before uh, now. Yeah. yeah. But also. I would like if Fury Road had sixty-five-year-old haggard Mel Gibson in it. I don't know that I would have liked it any less. I think it could have been awesome. I think he could have been the villain. I would like to, which is Toe Cutter, right? Toe Cutter. Yeah, the actor who played Toe Cutter. Yeah, the same name. I've heard pronounced so many different ways. I'm not sure if I'm even going to try. But Um, I fuck it. I'll try, guys. Yeah, I'll try. Can I recite a line for you? I think it's either dog shit. Oh no, bullshit. No pig shit. Mm-hmm. pig shit yes pig shit that scene where they're going over like how the fuel's made oh and mm-hmm. another fucking crazy the way that 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 all the dialogue was like that though mm-hmm. very like snark shitty snarkiness that wasn't very smart but like i don't know this series which seemed like it took place over this long period of you know this legendary status this character has in the movies you've got 79 for Mad Max, two years later, you've got Road Warrior. Four years after that, you've got Beyond Thunderdome. Thirty years after that, you've got Fury Road. Yeah, that's a weird. It's a weird jump. I mean, that, but it also shows you how influential those those films were. That that Mad Max is on. You know, I know a lot of people that have kind of never shut up about that movie and those the characters from that film. Definitely, I don't know if you guys have followed. I imagine you might have, but like it's been about ten years now of George Miller trying to make this movie. Yeah, and yeah. rumors about it. And so it seemed like kind of the thing that would never happen. And I remember even seeing a trailer like a year or more ago that just had a few shots in it or maybe just some images or something. There was something that had me thinking like, oh, wow, that's still a year away. And then like whenever the trailers for this started showing up, I know it was a while ago. Yeah, you're right. It just felt like one of those movies that was going to limp out. And then when it comes out, it's this amazing thing. And it's like so interesting. So like how could he lose his way so much with Thunderdome? 
And then 30 years later, I mean, 30 years, not just 30 years later of making movies and doing other things, but going from a 40-year-old man <laughs> to a to a 70-year-old man. How did he get a better idea? And, a, you know, do you, do you think maybe it's just people on the crew that grew up with these movies and are willing to, you know, because you know the stunt coordinator isn't 70, probably. Yeah. Right, right. I wonder if it's just the modern way... The, the the his way of doing things and his desire to do everything practically as much as possible mixed with the techniques and everything they've developed because now they can remove wires they can do yeah. some amazing shit that's practical yeah. quote unquote and still remove wires you know I think that I think that it probably was a point where he went back and watched that movie Beyond Thunderdome and thought man I I fucked up a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think I know what I what I could do to make it good. I got to get back. I got to tell the story of the kid with the white face paint who who plays with the Bugs Bunny doll. Okay, that's what he was thinking. And that's when he came up with He's the like, War Boys. Got it. <laughs> but yeah, just kind of seeing what didn't work, what did work. And I think that as an older guy, you're you're really honest with yourself about the way that you know his legacy. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't think he wanted to end his legacy of this character in a way that felt the way that the end of that movie felt well Just he's clearly like, been trying so hard yeah i mean he must have known he had an idea that would that would be applicable to modern audiences yeah. it, would, it would have been a 20 year gap if he had made the movie supposedly when he started making it and i heard that heath ledger was actually yeah, up I for the role too. oh wow which is amazing i think now yeah, to think that like great. now that you think about the batman series and you think about heath ledger as joker and and tom hardy following as bane and how like i don't know i just find that kind of interesting that these are actors of a certain kind of caliber that yeah. you can put into almost any role and count on them having done something interesting. I don't know that I would have been excited about hearing Heath Ledger for this movie if, if it was before he did The Joker. But now I think any of those stories about Heath Ledger that you hear, well, you'll imagine what might have been and it will seem really cool. You if know? you had seen A Knight's Tale, yeah. <laughs> you would have understood. How, that's a, I actually really like that movie. So when I heard that he was going to be... You know, Joker, I was like, holy shit, because he was great in that movie. Like, I've I, always liked him, but never seen anything that impressed me as much as that with regards to just him transforming himself. And I think it's interesting how much it, this this part, particularly as Mad Max, how much it parallels Bane for uh, for Tom Hardy because he's <laughs> yeah. got the face mask on for part of the movie. And there's definitely yeah. even some line readings where he sounds a little bit like... <laughs> I, 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 thought, I, thought the, I thought the whole Bane... I, I, was, I was being curious... And looking it up to see if there's any mention of it, any interviews that Christopher Nolan did, but like the vocal work for Bane, mm -hmm. it kind of reminded me of like how surprised I was when I heard Lord Among Us talk. Oh yeah, like yeah. It, it was very like he was very articulate and like very well spoken, <laughs> like Bane was. You yeah. know, like yeah. I was like that doesn't sound as much as I expect. You know, it doesn't sound what yeah. I expected to hear. So yeah, I thought about Bane when I when I heard Humongous. Well, there's all this cross pollination yeah. influence going into some other thing, and we yeah. can bet that Christopher Nolan saw that film. You yeah, know, oh, totally. And knew that that mask with this. All right, I'm ready to make a deal. You know, <laughs> yeah. like, now let me be clear. I will not harm you if you. Although doesn't he make an aside to Wes that he doesn't really intend to let anybody live? Doesn't he say yeah. something? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but still in that moment I remember thinking like well I didn't expect him to be reasonable. Yeah. Um, so th so let's talk a little bit about since we're talking about villains and we're we're, we're he edging up to Thunderdome. What do we think about uh, what do we think about Tina Turner in this film? She has one line reading that will live on for me in infamy. Like I'll hear it. Which? It's um. But he's just a raggedy man. You're a raggedy man. <laughs> And, and she laughs, you know. Yeah. But she's just so I don't know, she's not really bad. She's, she's not just completely bad. over the top. And it's yeah. a, it's crazy. Is it Auntie Entity? Is that her name? Yeah. Like that's kind of a reach as far as names go. But I do remember like I do I agree with you, Steve. I think that part of the film that she's mostly in is not 
it's it's miles ahead of the stuff with the kids, which Definitely. is just hard to swallow. But you can see the interesting experiment of like showing you these two different worlds, like the sure. fact that we've got Barter Town on the one side, which is I don't know if you noticed, but Barter Town is a really heavily catchphrase driven culture. Oh culture. yes, <laughs> so many catchphrases. If you can get a chant going in Barter Town, <laughs> yeah. then you've got the crowd because you've got two men enter, one man leaves, and then you've got what is it? Uh, bust a deal, face the wheel. Yeah, uh, bust a deal. I think they're all former game show audience members that have <laughs> yeah. formed a, a town. But I thought that was kind of interesting. And again, I like the notion of barter town, like getting to see yeah. another civilization. Like in Fury Road, you've got uh, what the Bullet Farm and what's the other one? Gas Town? Something like that? I think it might be Gas Town. Gas Town and Bullet. But I mean, this, this idea of this is how the future would go, this is how we, we would rebuild. And in Barter Town, we're seeing a different, a bigger a bigger settlement that's got more stakes and more going on than we've seen up yeah. to this point in the series. So it was interesting seeing like a new idea. And I did feel like that was George Miller having plenty of ideas. The the master's choice to like leave words out of sentences, but have them in the others. Yeah. Like he'd be like, I don't agree to that. And then he'd be like, I, I, don't like it'd be weird. Like he'd skip words sometimes. Like and then, you say, "Who run Barter Town?" That's what I wrote. Bar- down. Who run Barter Town? <laughs> what Who deal? Run Barter Town? What deal? Yeah. <laughs> what deal? I feel like that's like an intentional play to make it sound like he's smarter than everybody else. Yeah. Like the vocabulary that you're using is not what you should be saying. <laughs> you should be speaking like me. And then like yeah. you think you have him pegged about how the next sentence is going to sound. And he just like, like takes a word out. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually an you're idiot. All, yeah, yeah. I'm actually an idiot. It's it's pretty. <laughs> fucking crazy uh the the actual dome thunderdome fight scene i thought was great yeah i, I mean good. super corny yeah. but in a lot of ways but like corny because everyone in the world has referred to it because yeah. thunderdome has become a thing since then you know yeah. that where the fuck was that chainsaw well i well where was we, it we talked about dome? this before we started <laughs> recording but like they said if you can get to the weapons you can <laughs> use them so they have a chainsaw sitting up where there. was it they just have it waiting up in the i end. didn't see it until he grabbed it, <laughs> and then yeah. See, it was I remember cool. there being more Thunderdome stuff, and and that was really the, just the one. Yeah, scene. me too. I th- I thought there was more. I remember seeing more, but I guess. But yeah, they created it... a lot of excitement in that fight, and I think the the sort of stakes going into that. It's kind of interesting that he's got this deal with her, and that upon finding out that yeah. that uh, 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 Blaster basically has the mind of a child, he he feels uncomfortable killing him. I remember being a kid seeing that and just not getting it really what was going on. Yeah. But definitely feeling that that master was like like because of that scene after that where they take master and they lower him down in with the pigs and he's just like screaming and crying. I just remember being unsettled by that when I was it's a kid. Still and it's unsettling. like even now watching it, it's like, well, no point does it do they say the pigs are gonna eat him yeah. and it's not like the pigs start humping him or anything. But just I remember being a kid and having this weird suggestion of just what an awful fate yeah. to be lowered down amongst these pigs, you know. And and it still played just the same way this time. It just kind of made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. For that actor and everything. But this is the thing that bothered me so much. Like clearly there were no real villains and then master and blaster were defeated very easily but master didn't have any cronies besides blaster one guy i don't know his name the the smaller guy but the guy with the yeah with the 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 head on his like he just kind of seemed to be working in the shit mines the pig shit mines yeah um for whoever like it seemed like he was happy to work for for Auntie Entity after that. So yeah, it didn't seem like Master Blaster had no. any like anyone who was loyal to him. Maybe That's maybe no because he was such a prick and he left words out all the time and stuff. Yeah, okay. But him running to to uh, um, 
to Blaster's side and saying, like, no, 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 no. I just rem- I remember that. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. that's the kind of thing that's burned into your brain. And when it happens again, you're like, oh, God. Like, I actually had a weird nostalgia trip, that kind of almost unwanted nostalgia trip. Like, I can yeah. remember the summer of 85 and going to see this movie with my cousin and feeling like... You know, I had already seen. I mean, you guys know what a big, you know, Star Wars fan I must have been when I was a mm-hmm. kid. Star Wars was over in '83. Right. Star Wars was over. Right. So any kind of movie that had any hint of like adventure or action to it, I went to it wanting it to be that next thing that was going to just set me on fire. You mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And it, this wasn't it. It wasn't. It really was not it. So we've 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 just found out that there's this methane mine with all the you know with all the pig shit in it and that's where they get their power mm-hmm. and, sh- and auntie entity the tina turner character is going to send max down there to kind of be a spy or to work some angle for her and then when it cuts to his you know the drudgery of working in this hellish firescape with all the sh- pigs you know writhing around and the, all the shit this is the music that they that they play <laughs> Oh, sounds a lot more happy than it should. Like it could be like an episode of Benny Hill or something. It totally <laughs> like it sounds like super like funny. You it know? sounds like, like, like a upbeat, little skit, like silly comedy music. Yeah, yeah. it's it's wacky saxophone so music, weird. and they actually use that music at other points. You know, that's yeah. more evidence that the '80s happened. Is that, that you've got your orchestral score mixed with like drum machines and and you know saxophones. So yeah. it's like it's yeah, just a total a total hodgepodge of a movie in a lot of different ways but Mm. still having those neat ideas in it i don't know that it's truly awful but it really is i've really found it kind of uh, interminable like i what you were saying that halfway point it really starts to drag way 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 down everything up till you know the gulag with the the weird big fake head they put on them sending them out in the desert that's all kind of cool and fits in with that weirdness of that world they are yeah but i just don't know like the whole thing with the kids i didn't quite buy it i I read up a little bit on the whole cargo cult which is what they call that when like back in world war ii when these you know these equipment drops there were and i don't know how true a lot of this is but there would be these groups that would believe that the the equipment being dropped was maybe through some crude understanding of the technology that it was a message from above and they would develop these cults around these either kind of maybe fictionalized maybe real soldiers they would pick up a name here they would get some equipment there they would become this sort of island cult built up around the idea of this guy who was going to come save people i think that's where the idea for those kids came from but the timeline is kind of strange like i i didn't quite understand how they were able to develop their own society in like because okay so the oldest one was nicks right yeah the one how old would you say nicks was supposed to be uh 20 maybe late teens i was gonna say so if she was let's say there were a bunch of adults raising these kids right the kid, the adults had to have the even if there's a five year old there, the adults can only have been gone. However old the oldest kid is, that's yeah. how long. That's the maximum amount of time the adults could have been gone. <laughs> right from this. So group. where did the, how so those how kids did they go from like being like normal people to being like having their own language and their own culture and their own beliefs? It just doesn't work. I mean, I, I, I they, they needed to explain that more, but it doesn't make sense. Maybe what they needed to explain was that they left them with some old person that died, and then. The kids, but even then, the amount of time the grown-ups have been gone has. I mean, I know biology. The the, the grown-ups had to be there to give birth to the to whoever the youngest kid is. Yeah. yeah. So in that amount of time, did Nick's go crazy and go from being like a ten-year-old who knew the score to being like a weird, 
regressed into it just doesn't make yeah. sense you know yeah. and i i keep trying to make the timeline of that make sense i mean maybe i'm missing some crucial detail <laughs> but i don't think i am you know mm, yeah like, that didn't make any sense to me either and that's a like, lot of kids kid too. so young and that's weird it's like they wanted to get this idea of this different society into the movie and it's kind of a neat idea that idea of the cargo cult or the people that are like basing their understanding of what happened in the past off of limited information and what they can pull from a viewmaster and maybe a name off of a uniform or something like that or a picture of a plane. Yeah. They're telling the whole story from that. That's interesting. Yeah. I was watching a review of that one and somebody said that it would have been cool if the caveman kid with the boomerang, if that was the leader, <laughs> <laughs> if that was the leader of the group of kids, yeah. that would have been a, it would have made more sense to cut to that. To tie it together. Yeah, to tie it together. We didn't even talk about the the feral kid, but the feral kid, it is true. The feral kid was amazing. It's almost like if people said, okay, people like the feral kid. I didn't really like the feral kid. You didn't like that kid killing somebody with a boomerang? I love that. I love the boomerang thing. I love the guy reaching up to catch it and his fingers getting cut off. (laughs) That stuff's great. What an idiot. (laughs) What a dummy. I just, you know what it is? I don't like feral kid because he inspired Mad Max's haircut in the next film too much, I think. I think that in Thunderdome, he's going for the feral kid look. I don't know. There's something about that kid, something about the way did you notice how like especially in the first two films the adr work like the 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 looping of the audio everything was very very looped now sometimes it reminds me of like spaghetti westerns because in those films sound effects are added and if someone walks across the floor it's clop 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 and And there's some moments in mad max where like the, the creaking of his leathers and like his boots scuffing on the pavement it really does it sounds great but it is very art- yeah. artificial scene. Definitely. Yeah. And I think the grunts and the sounds that the kid was making, just the fact that they have that laid in after the fact quality, it, it just weird. seems like I, I hated his stupid face and I hated, I hate, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't like the feral kid. And I started to think of the day, what, what kids do I like in movies? And I'm really having a hard time when, they add, a, when, they, when they add a kid's sidekick, it's almost always what a about? problem. I know what you're about to say. I like Short Round. Okay. Short Round okay. is good. good. I was about to say, he's the one that I kept thinking. That, was, like, that, that would be my exception as like, well. He's kind of obnoxious, but in the way that an 11-year-old kid would be obnoxious. Not like the movie bends over to make this kid into this yeah. awesome Agreed. character. Oh. Now, Feral Kid is cool in that sense. I just am yes. saying I personally don't feel a connection to Feral Kid, but I feel like what they did was say... <laughs> Okay, you liked Feral Kid? Here's a thousand Feral Kids. I love how many times you said Feral Kid in the last episode. They made him look like mini Tarzan. Everybody, if you're doing a line of Coke every time I say Feral Kid, you're dead. You've had a heart attack now. (laughs) They made him look like a mini Tarzan, which really made me uncomfortable. The backflip is hilarious when he's like, oh, wow, wow. And then he does the backflip. Also, like, uh, I've been watching out for action films that have, like, the Wilhelm scream, that, Mm -hmm. like, ah, scream that they have in every movie. There were so many of those. If you really pay attention to mm-hmm. some of the scenes that have like the bigger crashes, they just snuck it in to like have like folly for like s- the screaming. It was so. Speaking of sneaking things in, I I I found myself <laughs> pausing and playing back the crash scenes in slow motion, specifically in Mad Max. It's so crazy! Did you guys see how many dead kangaroos there were? Yeah. No, dude. I couldn't no. tell what it was. Like, the first three accidents in Mad Max 1. Stop it. And I played them back in slow-mo. There are literally kangaroos flying <laughs> through the air and, like, landing on their necks. I, I tried to find how many kangaroos were harmed during these films. Are you serious? It does not exist on the internet, but I'm, a, I'm very confident that it was at least seven. Kangaroos just got killed. Yes, because here's my basis for it. During the action scene, and, and, and there's Stevie a guy, like, like, like... 
you you see a guy driving the car and you see like a like a like a like a shape just fly across like he flew out of the car like uh, yeah. I'm like oh that's a guy that's a guy flying like how'd they do that back in like the 70s and then I'm and then I rewind it and it's like a freaking kangaroo like and I thought that was the person flying out of the car but they so, don't even show the guy it's just the kangaroo flying across so they just use kangaroo cars I don't think they use the kangaroo like the fill in for the man I think the kangaroo was a bystander of the crash he was just hanging out in, in the outback and then it's he just so got awful. hit but it's like very I swear to you like the first major crash scene in Mad Max watch it in slow motion you'll see a kangaroo fly across the screen upside down the budget was 350000 I don't think they had somebody standing on the sidelines like making sure kangaroos didn't right get so they probably I, I got demolished so if you're filming a, 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 like a, a, a crash out in the desert kangaroos are kind of known they're, they're assholes I've heard this yeah so like they probably were all like what's going on out here and yeah. they were coming up and if you've ever seen them they're like they're like stepping they're a little yeah. muscular they're, they're what you call yeah, stepping yeah they are yeah. totally They're they've got that step off look. What are you doing? Them. Yeah, right. Up in here. I like the idea. So it's like imagine them coming up and being like, "What's going on?" Wow! You know, like, <laughs> I like the idea of you and Aaron watching a movie and she's shocked by the crash and you're like, oh, whoa, whoa, "Hold on, on a second. Did I see a fucking kangaroo? <laughs> it's a kangaroo. <laughs> it's a kangaroo. I don't know how I feel about the fact that kangaroos were really, really hurt on this movie. Yeah, man, but, and those, how fast were those cars going to create that sort of carnage? I know, I know. It would. It, it was crazy how hard sometimes, because they'd have them going the opposite way and they'd hit the shit out of each other, and the car would not just like, f- like spiral around. It would fall it, apart. It would f- yeah. fall apart and go flat in one part yeah. and completely mm-hmm. cave in. Well, I wonder how many takes they got on some of those things because there's I like can't even imagine. there's one crash in particular in that film in the first film that is it's Toe Cutter's demise yeah. where he. He runs into the into truck, the truck yeah. and it's like they get the that motorcycle is just smashed, and then that the dummy rolls under the truck the way you would the want kangaroo. it to. Yeah, the kangaroo. Wait a minute, the kangaroo in a jacket and helmet that they got, but like he rolls under the wheels, and it's like I wonder how many like that. It seemed too, <clears throat> it seemed too much like what you would want. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like wait, how many motorcycles did they have to destroy to get For that, that shot? God, they're also <laughs> in the first Mad Max. They're a big fan of things getting run over. Yeah. So like when they ran over Max's hand, mm-hmm. I was like, man, I would never have thought to make that a point. Yeah. In that movie, but George is like, yep, smashes. Shoot fucking. him in the leg and then <laughs> run over his arm. And even run when the when arm. the mother and the when the wife and the son get killed, yeah. the way that they get mowed down and you just see the shoe and the ball <laughs> roll into the frame. I mean, it's like that it's, made me laugh so, it's so hard. It's, again, it's kind of funny, but it's also like. <laughs> All you like that's all you needed to see. You didn't yeah. need to see the gore of that. Shoo you know? yeah. And I think they did show her in the hospital after that and she yeah. was like like you could tell she was a partial person, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it was definitely very very unsettling. But either way, I think that those types of stunts are insane. And I was tr- I was gonna say that crash with Toe Cutter in the first one might be the best crash, but really probably the crash in Road Warrior where it's Wes on the front of the of the of the the tanker that Mad Max is driving, the two guys that were and, and he just and, splatters and, him. And, uh, Lord Humongous is coming up in the dune buggy, and he just rams into the dune buggy, like kills two bad guys yeah. for the price of one, kind of thing. That's that's a great moment, like that. That's intense. What's up with all these close ups? Also, I was gonna say, I don't know what to call that. I don't know what to call the that. Bulging the, eyeball. The bug eyes. Did you notice that those were in yeah. Fury Road? Yeah. I don't think they were in the in between films though. Were no, they? is just, that just when is that when the four. guy fell out of the tanker? 
No, that's before Toe Cutter gets hit. Okay. There's the two. There's two parts do, I know where you, you see remember, that. The first do you remember? Do you remember when the guy when they first when he goes up to the tanker and then the guy falls out? There's a zoom in like that too. There's like a big bulgy eye. In what four? It was it in no no what in the one? second one. Really, oh, I don't remember okay. seeing it in the second one, but I know in the first one and the new one it's there. And if anyone's listening and doesn't know what we're talking about, you it's just a quick cut. It's almost like a subliminal <laughs> cut to. Like a, a face with like unrealistically kind of cartoonishly <laughs> bulging eyes, but it's a very unsettling effect. I mean, it has the effect of like, Ugh, that's death, you know. But in the first one, what you you get it when Night Rider, Knight Rider gets, hit, gets yeah. killed at the beginning, and when Toe Cutter gets killed. Damn it! That Night Rider guy was so damn annoying too. He was. I the thing is, don't act, to don't don't act like a villain. Yeah. Like just just be an asshole. <laughs> don't go ha ha. Yeah. Also, why were they mic'd up to him? I didn't understand how, that either. How was they mic? How was every car mic'd up to Night Rider? You can hear everything he was saying. And, and oh, oh can... I know why. Because he'd stolen a police. Okay, gotcha, it took gotcha. me a minute to figure that out, but gotcha. he'd stolen a police. That makes vehicle. sense. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was wondering why. Because it was like he was talking to them. It took me a minute to figure yeah. that out, though. And then you figure out that he's escaped, and and made it this far. So like, and and even though he dies at the beginning, I think we're to take it that he's kind of a an maybe an equal to toe cutter or yeah. right hand man to toe cutter because it was like everyone seems to speak very highly of the night rider no one says he was the most annoying uh, was the most in the world. so <laughs> so part of being a villain does it mean like punching your head is that like a thing? yeah you gotta punch ah! your head and you gotta have like a weird noise you make and like i said <laughs> if you want a somersault actually it's like that's how they figure out are you like the villain or are you the henchman if you're yeah. in this world if you like to come out in a somersault and you have like a weird scarf on and you like to dance and go <laughs> and like yeah. spit at townsfolk you might just be a henchman yeah but if you I can like so. sit off to the side of all that and just kind of look disapprovingly at it even though you're the the ringleader of it yeah. that, that means you're okay you're cut out to be like gotcha toe gotcha so does toe cutter this is he you know where did that name come from does he get that name from from cutting off toes or i i have not i didn't know how he developed it I, and i don't know i kind of wonder like is that some kind of because there's a lot of things that i wonder if they're just australian slang in this film very full right, right. very full hair Toe cutter. First thing I noticed about him, he looked almost like a a wrestler. Yeah. And that actor Hugh Keysburn or Kaysburn, okay. the fact that he is back to play a Morton Joe in Fury Road is is just a neat another little nod to a the lack of continuity in this world that mm. you can use the same actor. Yeah. And actually, Bruce Spence plays two kind of very similar the characters. Gyro Captain. Yeah, and the Aviator. I yeah, guess yeah. is what he's called in the third one so you know it is interesting that that george miller just seems to kind of decide when he doesn't break every rule every time but he seems to decide oh i can reuse the same actor in a different role or i can you know set this in ambiguous time period that doesn't seem to relate to the previous film it is very relaxed i'm not finding any real reference to to why the name uh toe cutter toe cutter so what about fury road Fury Road. Oh yes. Let, let, let's get the Fury Road. Yes. It's been, it's been a, we've been talking for a while with uh So when I said that I liked the second one, I was talking about the set, the the old set. Yeah. I, I'd say that of all of them, Fury Road is definitely my favorite. Agreed. Um, it's a lot of things. It's beautiful. It, it, you God, know, it's so gorgeous. It's a gorgeous movie. Um the characters are so dynamic. It, you know, I've never seen a movie where I cared about every character. You wonder about every character. Who's that small character? Who's yeah. that who's that little kid in the background? 
what would I, I've never wondered about every single character so much. And I think that kind of lends itself to the idea of what I said, kind of like the uh, it doesn't focus too much on the world so much as it is the characters in the world. And that makes it very easy for you to kind of fall into it. Yeah. The fact that these characters are interacting with each other the way that they do and it's so fast paced. You know, there's not a lot of over explaining mm-hmm. the, the story and you don't need that. You just see it. You're in it. You process it. You're in the world. Shut up. This is happening. Got to go here. I love that everything was like that. And, and it it made up for the idea that there was almost too much story. But well, not almost. There was too much story in Beyond Thunderdome. And just the perfect amount in uh, Fury Road. I, I would agree. I would say that the only scene that, when I look back on it, that seems kind of clunky was the biggest, like dialogue scene between mad max and furiosa mm. when they're talking and he says they're talking about the the wives of immortan joe or whatever yeah. and saying how they they're they have hope for the future and he says what are you looking for and she says redemption like that <laughs> didn't that was the rare occasion where that movie tells you something that you didn't really need to know yeah you know because for the rest of the time it's exactly what you said it's hits the ground running you're figuring out what you need to know for the next scene. I mean, we definitely have the cultural baggage, even having not seen all the Mad Max films before watching this. In a weird way, I liked that I was going back and watching the earlier films having seen Fury Road because I had all this knowledge of what they did with the character in that, and I was yeah. looking for the, the beginnings of that in the earlier films. But having had just the kind of cultural baggage going into this film, you're watching the character of Mad Max with a certain amount of interest you know you want to see how they're treating the character you want to see those those shots in the beginning where he's kind of enigmatic and he's shot from behind and he's almost in silhouette and and then you you can tell that the the we don't know what's going on but there's this gang that's chasing him and he can tell he's got just enough time to kind of stay ahead of him maybe not even it's a great way to begin the movie and it doesn't really stop i would say like the first half hour or so are just perfect seamlessly perfect filmmaking in a lot of ways where it goes from that he's captured we get a little taste of what's going on in the in the in this world we don't know any much about martin joe yet but yeah what's going on with the war boys and 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 like that visual we get when he escapes and almost gets away but then he gets to that door and it opens up and he's in a cliff i mean that was like some almost indiana jones level kind of cool oh shit look what you know look where he is look what's going on here and and it's adventure is what i'm saying it's not just violent intense storytelling it had a certain kind of visual the visual reveal of what's going on in that civilization that you know the citadel it's very interesting really kept me i mean i was i was just enthralled by that aspect of it and and that how developed the world is without a lot of dialogue without a lot of stuff that's there just to explain it within minutes you've got the setup with furiosa leaving and and you know we don't know what's going on with that character yet but She's not on screen for five minutes before we know she's doing something different than what the plan is. Yeah. So it's like we get introduced to her. We see that she's important. We see what she's supposed to be doing. And we see that she's not doing what she's supposed to be doing in about five minutes of screen time. That's, and then, and that's then she amazing. has a lot of respect, too. Like, it's interesting, like, when she veers off the plan, like, people still follow her. Yeah, the people yeah. that are like, They don't question her. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, like, not a, it's not she, mutiny. Yeah, she's at that level where yeah. it's like, we we still follow what, what's happening until later when they realize what's going on. I, I like the way they built the tension where the guy comes up and keeps banging on the side, like, hey. Like, what's going on? What's going on? Yeah, you what's, good? What's okay, on? cool. And he bangs again, and he seems a little more frantic. Right. And then the next time, he's like, what? What's going on? Yeah, what are you doing? Yeah. That was so cool, man. Uh, one one of the things I really like is, like, the attention to, like, detail and, like, even continuity in a scene. So, like, I like the scene where she... Who gives him that little thing to get his 
thing off of his face, the little thing off of his face. Was, was it the mask? Like the yeah, the file mask. or something? Yeah, the is file. Is that not her? Is that yeah, not it's, I think she gives him something. When he's like fucking with the file yeah. and it's still going on, he's like, any other movie would have just, it would have just Come on. tossed it to him. But he's like digging and still kind of processing everything that's going on around him and walking around and doing it. Something... No, I like how long Super. he kept that on and how long they made it into a thing. Yeah. Where when he finally gets it off, you're like, oh, that must feel good to get that thing yeah. off his face. It was, it was a pretty interesting thing because I only see things like that in like really weird like martial arts films where like there's like something like a, even Jackie Chan where Jackie Chan will have like one thing going on. It's distracting him. He's still going around with it. Mm-hmm. And then he comes back to the scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he finally gets that thing off, you feel like... You feel the relief of not having that metal digging into the bridge of your nose. You know yeah. what I mean? That's a huge part of why the opening of the movie feels so action-packed is because he doesn't have time to stop and finish getting that thing off. Yeah. It's just a neat little visual detail that seems like a, a real act of confidence to say, we're going to cast this actor that a lot of people like to look at, and we're going to hide his face. Yeah. Not only that, we're going to constrict his ability to talk and give you this chance to see whose movie it really is, which is, you know, in the end, it's the story of how Furiosa rises to be the, the leader of the Citadel, spoiler alert. If but that, that's, like, completely consistent with the other movies, right. I feel. Yeah. Like no, but it's, I, this I, was even more so I, almost. And I, and I like that a lot. Like, I yeah. feel like kind of what you're getting at, Ronald, with, like, just that one specific thing, it's kind of, it's just in line with the movie just not stopping. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really stop for anything to really play out. Yeah. Maybe the scene that John mentioned, like when they're having a little bit of a, a narrative. <laughs> but that's piece, literally but the only scene yeah, that's like if, that. If that, I, I really didn't have a problem with that because I'm kind of, it's kind of walks that fine line of giving too much, which the other films really don't. Like when you're talking about like Toe Cutter, you wonder what his backstory is. Yeah. Like you wonder what the backstory is of all these, of the wives and what her motivation is for doing what she's doing beyond just like. I want to get these girls away from him kind of thing. Like, she yeah. has a motive. Um, and you get a taste of it. I, I didn't think it really bothered me that much. I just, I absolutely loved how relentless the motion of the movie was. Like, yeah. I don't feel like you really had a moment, with the exception of that one scene, maybe, where you ever felt secure in in assuming that the motion of it was stopping for a moment. Yeah. Even when yeah. they, even when she gets to like where she came from and you think like, uh, she's, she's understanding what's, what it is now. And like, it stopped for like a minute, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. like, and, and then you realize it's not what you thought, you yeah. know, let, what the fuck do we do now? Like we have to keep moving. Like they're still behind us. Yeah. You know, that, that's like the rear view idea is that like, it's closer than you think it is. Got to keep moving. Yeah. I love that about the movie. And I love that. You know, in the end, it really like it's so passive. It's so passive to him, to 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 Mad Max, in what his ultimate journey is. Like he yeah. just kind of walks away, you know, from it. You know, and that's that shot of him disappearing into yeah. the crowd at the end is is one of my favorite shots. Yeah, in the agreed. Film. Yeah, because it t- it's like that shot says almost everything you need to know about Mad Max, yeah. which is eyes on the prize. He's looking up at Furiosa. He's glad that she's able to assume power. I love how no one's debating that like it was yeah. such a cool thing that she's back and people <laughs> are just like yep and, love, and, and, yeah. and morton joe you can tell that he's one of those rulers that people were willing to serve him but they were also very happy Glad not to, to be under go. his thumb kind yeah. of yeah. um so she's rising up and she's given mad max the look of kind of saying thank you and he's given her the look of like saying like 
this seems right is kind of what yeah. he seems to be saying. But I don't think if he thought it didn't seem right that he would be really behaving that differently. He wouldn't be like saying, I've got to help all these people. He'd still be saying, I got, where's the best, where's the nearest ride? Where's Let me out? get out yeah. of here. Yeah. George Miller has said he's got ideas for two more films basically yeah. in the can. He's got comic books coming out. Yeah. He's got backstories. Games, yeah. Backstories for characters in this film coming out in some way or another. Yeah. In interviews, he's revealing information about the guitar the player. Warrior, yeah. Guitar player. They're, they're talking about his origin. Is, is this movie partially cool because it was forced to economize and hold back some of the stuff it knew and make a streamlined story? Is it possible that in five years, what's fresh about this movie will be hindered if there have been two more Mad Max movies? I mean, do you see that as a worry at all? Or at this point, do you think, no, th- the filmmaking is what makes this movie special and that should continue? I think I think I'm a little afraid that like the things that drew me to this film might get lost in the next two only because like he also made thunder beyond thunderdome <laughs> well that's kind of what i'm saying you know what i mean like it's it's like for for he made fury road which yeah. is excellent from beginning but he there. also made happy feet too yes yes <laughs> just things getting kind of diluted in and everything but i mean if if the the ideas are as random and crazy maybe he does have fresh ideas i i i'm not concerned with it to be honest with you yeah i mean i'm i'm are you going to see the next one? I, I would love to. Yeah. Your concern is valid. Yeah. But there's something about the the history with the films and his franchise. And even if you say, oh, this is like a reboot or like a relaunch and there's a trilogy in mind. I don't even think you can classify well, what, it. Whatever you know? it is, you know, like if, if it's, con- it, it is, it, it is consistently inconsistent. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's, there's things you'd say that all the films have in common. And and I don't think people that really know them would argue that point. But I, I don't, I don't find myself concerned with the idea of him having it planned two steps ahead and, and possibly feeling fatigued and anything like that. Because I think that world is so big and like even even just like quick scenes you see in the movie, like when they're passing through areas, you're I, or at least me, I'm immediately what is that fucking scene where those people are like walking around like crows with long legs like which could be yeah. like one of the coolest shots in the whole film. Exactly. And, and the totally... women and the women refer to it in the scene like the crows you pat. You know yeah. what I mean? Like immediately I want to know about that. Right. Like yeah. make that a part of the next one. It's only if he goes the direction of Thunderdome and maybe tries to put in too much that it could get to be problematic because what makes Fury Road so efficient and so great is partially because it does not try to dress up the story at all yeah. it's yeah. very simple they're going in one direction and then they got to go in the other direction yeah. and the reasons change and the motivations change and they have to forge i love the bonds they forge that moment when he says i'll do it like he's got to go back and and fix the wire that, that has cut off the power to that fuel pot yeah. in the back and it's dragging and it's like you quickly realize what he's got to do and that moment where she realizes well we have to trust this guy who was just holding a gun on us that we're now in it together. Yeah. And even more so with Nicholas Holt as uh, the war boy, which I thought he was great. Yeah, he was great. Um, but the way that that character eventually, like you see how being part of the team, how being useful and, and, and helping and seeing that there is something outside of this structure that he knows, it wakens him up to something. something because yeah. now they're in it together. Whatever's happening outside... Until a Morton Joe actually shows up, it's it's a moot point because now he's in with them. You know, I thought that stuff was really really great, and I guess we can get the idea that Morton Joe has control of the the water, I guess, and that's why he's able to control these people. Yeah. So I mean, you can see that resources like that. I mean, it just makes you think if George Miller really does have ideas for more films, he must have ideas for different towns, different settlements, different groups. Hopefully, they won't all be like the kids in uh, Beyond Thunderdome. I have to say, I like at the end of Thunderdome when the when they've made it to this town and it's this mm-hmm. bombed out, dusty city. I think that's a neat is setting. It, it's, it's Sydney. 
It's, 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 yeah, so, yeah. But I thought that was a neat setting. Mm. I would. I mean, I wouldn't mind picking up with some idea yeah, of, some people, of some people that have set up shop in abandoned city yeah, buildings. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a neat idea. That'd, That'd be, be pretty cool if they re. I, I would love for them to like revisit that place just in a better way like yeah, it well, just, you like re, re, yeah re, just visit the kids completely no not the kids, <laughs> not the the, kids. <laughs> and they're all grown up yeah you don't want them to say they're gonna remake beyond thunderdome but the notion of like different environments people can be in i do think that the potential i think the idea for the next one the name is the wasteland is mm. mad max the wasteland when's so, that supposed to come out well it's it's not oh, it's not but i mean it's it's a it seems a given that it will happen because this has been so acclaimed, but box office wise, it has not been the runaway hit that something like, say, Pitch Perfect 2 <laughs> has yeah. become. So it's a little bit odd that opening weekend. I mean, I don't know if it, Steve, did you follow the grosses the following weekend? Because uh, it dropped like 42%. It's an R. It's not as much movie, as most right? movies drop in their second weekend. No, like Pitch Perfect dropped like 58 or something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's definitely a whole, it's a word of mouth movie. So you'll yeah. see over like weeks three, four, five, six, like. That's where it'll hold on. I, I think this movie will. I mean, I mean the it's word not, of mouth th- is, is... This is a foaming at the mouth movie. People yeah, are raving oh, about oh, this movie. Absolutely. And it's because of action we just haven't seen in a while. We haven't felt I love, the... I love that all the action scenes, like, I feel like one of... Uh, at least mine, I know we've all kind of groped about this before, but, like, a lot of really, like, good action movies, even the good ones that come out now, the scenes that are, like, really well orchestrated where there's so many moving pieces, yeah. you lose track of so many you moving do. pieces, too. Mm-hmm. I felt like this movie was so successful in keeping track of what was happening yeah. in the entire scene. Definitely. Like, the scene you're talking about where he goes to fix the brake on the tanker at the back, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't lose tracking shots of, like, what's happening on top. Like, there's a wide shot, so you see what's on top and who's yeah. on the bottom. Mm-hmm. You see all these things happening, and you don't really get confused. Like, you completely have a scope of the entire set piece of what's happening while this one thing is happening. Where any other movie, like, I feel like you'd cut away and you would just follow him and his fight. You'd come back and something would have happened or mm-hmm. something then happens later. I just loved how many moving pieces there were to everything. And like, it was so efficient moving yes. in and out of that stuff. Yeah, it was like, you know, and when the bikes are involved and, like, the guys on, like, the poles coming in and plucking yeah. people out. That's pretty cool. There's so many, like, wide shots where you see the scope of how many moving parts, literally parts, like like cars <laughs> yeah. moving, literally. Yeah. And you don't really lose perspective of it. And I think that is such a rare thing now. Like, it is. there's so much complaint about, you know, action scenes relying on CGI. And, like, we always talk about this kind of stuff. Or just physical action fight scenes in more yeah. action movies, not like not so much martial arts stuff, where the choreography like really gets really messy, and yeah. you don't really feel like one either like they're really fighting, or two like you really even know what's going on anymore. My favorite fight scene was the tank when Tanker stopped, and it was Furiosa, Mad Max, and then the other kid when they fight. They're kind of all fighting each other mm-hmm. when they're like shooting at each other when the gun comes out. And they're yeah, like shooting yeah. at the tank. Yeah, that fight was amazing. Yeah, yeah. no, it was so good. it was like falling hand. on top of each other yeah, and yeah. like rotating and. You mean when he's still chained to him? Yeah, when he's still yeah, chained and they're trying amazing. to like. I love that. Trying to fight each other and choke and her. And like he's like yanking him back as yeah. he's like trying to beat her and he like oh wraps the God. chain around him. And you him. totally buy her as a credible, oh, like, totally. uh, like again, you don't even question it. Like she's, she's, yeah. she's such a great character. Because uh, he's not like, she's not like picking him up and throwing him. Such good character. And there's one other little character thing between them. The part when, when he's about to take the shot and he's kind of shaking, he's not sure he can get the shot and he hands it, he off, it off to, to her. her. Oh, man. Like oh, willingly man. gives it to her. Yeah. And then the way that she starts to stabilize it on her robotic arm and realize she can't get it stable enough and so she uses his shoulder. Yeah. yeah. It's like the best like 
economic way Trust. of showing yeah. like the, what these two characters have that he wouldn't hand the gun to anyone else and she probably wouldn't rest the gun on anybody else you yeah. know that's just such a great a great yeah, I beat. love that so good and again doesn't like doesn't have to be a romance doesn't have to be sexual oh, tension thank no, god nowhere in the story yeah. right thank which, god which yes wouldn't that have been oh. automatically in any other version of this story yeah. you you're know? absolutely right no i i, I absolutely love this movie um i was in shock i wanted to see a more descriptive version of what happened to immortan joe i just wanted yeah. to see <laughs> the mask ripped off see him going or something yeah or going, him gagging or not i just i felt like they we never because that yeah. part was it was a little hard to read you could tell what was going on by implication and you could tell what had happened yeah. but i don't think that part was very clearly visualized i mean it's obvious what she can do she can rip this mask off but i you know what i mean like they it almost feels like they they there was an image that got cut because it was too gross or something yeah. and even later when we see a morton joe's body the the camera kind of pans away really fast so yeah. i'm wondering if that's that's the kind of thing you hear about to get an r we had to trim three seconds of this one shot or something mm. right that was the, one of the only parts where i was like i kind of wanted to see more graphic violence than what they showed <laughs> back to what we we're saying about the villains i think that morton joe was just a you know, the sight of him coming in that giant monster that he drives was just yeah. insane. I feel like it was so interesting to see how weak he was. Though. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I feel and like, like that, old and that, his skin is so like... Yeah, that juxtaposition of like how dependent he is on everything else mm -hmm. to really just give off this like muscular, like domineering like facade. But really, he's like surviving off of this air thing, off of this, this mother's milk or whatever the hell they call it. Like all these yeah. things that are like not just naturally powerful that he possesses. It's like all coming from other people or other substances or other mechanisms. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like, he's decrepit. You yeah. Get the oh, sense that, oh, absolutely. You get the sense that that stuff they're putting on him is almost there to bring hold him, him up, pull yeah. him into some kind of shape <laughs> that up. can be presented to people. You know, he's like yeah. an old, tired man who's yeah, he's like he's pushing the limits of what most people in that society would have already died from right like, you know like like um when nux is like talking about the his like the two tumors on his shoulder mm -hmm. he, he names them you yeah. know like everybody's got these physical ailments that eventually will overtake them and probably kill off the majority of that population but this guy the leader has found a way to basically have this facade like he's completely good he's mm -hmm. fine but really he's like falling apart yeah and it's kind of cool to see how weak he really was, like the moment she pulls. I mean, it's quick, you're right. But the moment he, she pulls it off, you realize that, that lifeline is gone. And well, like, all the villains have died yeah. in those kind of sudden ways. Oh, like, totally, Toe Cutter yeah. is a badass with the gang, and he's got this whatever plan he's yeah. got, or he's, you know, his. But then when he turns his head the wrong way for too long, he gets flattened by a truck. Yep. And then, you know. He, uh, Lord Humongous is even less of a presence in a lot of ways. Yeah, uh, he just he's like I'm gonna. <laughs> you know, it seems like he could have he could have swerved. Swerved, yeah. <laughs> now that I think about it, but like I think there's something to be said for that for saying like these guys when you get up next to them they're not larger than life they're right. not they're not yeah. so exactly. tough they're exactly. just they're just they're they're brutes but they're not uh, they're people you know. Yeah. But I thought that character and it really there is something kind of otherworldly about him that you do kind of want... I mean, again, I could see there being more story there, but I feel like we saw everything we need to know to kind of mentally fill in the blanks of like what that rise to power might have been like and how long this has been going on. I mean, long enough for him to grow old, I guess. Yeah. So And have little kids running his little... Everything that's rotating. That was so crazy to see little kids doing everything. And, and the idea of, of, little... of the, the physical deformities and stuff. I mean, clearly yeah. he's got like a son who... The, the little person in the wheelchair or whatever... 
And then there's Rictus, the Rictus Erectus, who <laughs> is a physical specimen, but yeah. clearly doesn't yeah. have a lot going on yeah. upstairs. But even with that character, he got a little arc and a little little story. And at the end, when he comes and rips the engine out, it's a crucial part of what happens <laughs> to of what happens to Nux. Yeah. Uh, which Nick's and Nux, I didn't think about that. But um, that that scene where I mean, you can see that it probably is not going to work out for him when he says to the to the bride, like I keep saying, bride. Were they ever called brides? No, the wives. The wives. That's yeah. probably what I'm looking for. But when he says to that one wife, like I'll I'll join you as soon as we do this other thing, you kind of feel like she even looks at him, yeah. like I don't think it's going to happen for you, you know. But you felt a little bit. I mean, even though he was this crazy war boy who wanted to please Immortan Joe and go to Valhalla, you did in that moment. You felt like he kind of accepted his fate in kind of a sad way, like <laughs> yeah. like I'm I'm. This is what this is how it's going to go this down. Is how it's yeah, and he kind of, doesn't he wave yeah. or something? Yeah. There's like a beat where you sense. <laughs> Nicholas Holt was just fantastic in that moment. The like, scene where he was like trying to do something for him, and then he falls off of the off the tank. top of the tanker. Mediocre, and it just <laughs> keep driving. I was like, oh god, that was hilarious. Well, I love that he, he gets his foot like stuck in the ball. <laughs> yeah. He's like, he saw it. He's yeah. so mad because he's, so Martin Joe is like sending him, like essentially saying, "Go do it. Yeah, You're our guy." It. And then he trips and he falls. Just falls. Yeah. Mediocre. <laughs> <laughs> One word for him and draws yeah. by It's really good movie. Yeah, and funny without being jokey. Like, yeah, yeah Thunderdome yeah, had goofy stuff in it. To be funny, wasn't goofy. Do you love Mad? Do you love Tom Hardy as Mad Max? I, just, just right now. Do you? Yes, no. I don't know. Okay. I don't think so. I, but I do. I don't feel like I was knocked out by him. Me either. I, I, I don't think so. I, I, and I'll I, say something else really quick. Just not before I yeah. cut you off. Before I cut you off. Yeah. I love Tom Hardy. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that I point to any movies where he's like the action guy and say that's the reason I love him. I think my favorite movie of him, I mean Bronson is like the one that Bronson wowed me. Is... But the movie The Drop and like the um the other one that he was in last year, Locke, mm-hmm. like these smaller movies are real. I feel like I like him a lot more. Yeah. I mean I know this character Mad Max is like quieter and he's like I don't know he's got like this brooding thing and he's like mm-hmm. very masculine while being aware and sensitive at times, but. I don't. I, I didn't feel like myself being like, oh, he's so fucking cool. This movie, like, I didn't feel that icon, as much as I felt like Mel Gibson in Road Warrior. I there's certain parts where I'm picturing him, and I'm pic- like the part where he is. I think it's right after he gets the thing off his face. Yeah. He's like walking a, the length of the the rig. Yeah. There's a cup. That shot I felt like was an iconic shot. Okay. I know what you're saying. I think I really enjoy him in this role. But I be I think where, where I'm a little confused in my answer is because he wasn't he was was not the the main thrust the main character with an arc in yeah. this film. So in my mind, I guess if I'm comparing him to Mel Gibson in the role, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe I do think Mel Gibson more embodies the character. But I I, I kind of to add to what you said, I like Tom Hardy and I think he's good, and I like seeing what he brings to these more kind of meat-headed roles. Like, I enjoyed certain things about his performance as Bane because it's Tom Hardy and because I know that he's putting some thought into it. Yeah. But does he carry this film away? I, no, he doesn't. Right. Like, but I don't know if that's a problem. I don't know if that's a problem. It's, it's not It's not a problem you know at I mean? all. Like, like There's I, not a moment where I checked out because yeah. of any concern I had with him. I did really enjoy him. But you're right. You, you like, know, does, there, does, he, does he claim the, the role of Mad Men? Like, the way that right. some people might say... I mean, maybe years from now we'll have more perspective, but like for a lot of people, like Daniel Craig is their favorite Bond. Right. And I could totally see that argument. And sometimes I come around to that argument of thinking like those films have been consistently solid. Mm-hmm. He's been great in the role. 
let's you know if you really were to go back and watch the Connery versions, would they really hold up? Whatever. I think this is a little bit confused by the fact that this is Furiosa's movie, and it's been thirty years, yeah, and we don't really have anything to compare it to. But I, I do see what you're saying that like it's the, the image you have of Mad Max in your head is still probably a, an image of Mel Gibson from The Roid Warrior. Yeah. Which is the, only, the Roid Warrior, which is the, the one where he's really mad about having hemorrhoids. <laughs> I kind of like, I, that's why I partly wishes that I didn't see the other ones before I saw it, because I kind of would have loved to have seen it with uh, a fresh eye, like not comparing it at all to something else. Mm-hmm. But, um, no, no, it's not to say that there was anything negative no, no, about I know you're not, him you're at not, all. Like, but it's it, a good question. It, it was just like, I, I walked away, or I even walked into it knowing that he wasn't going to be like, he's not the star of the movie. But I was very curious how I walked out of the theater feeling about him as a, as an actor, not just as Mad yeah. Max. Yeah. Like, I feel like the movie that's going to make him the star, you know, like, I feel like he, he's, he, I feel like he's still on that cusp of, like, st- of, like, super, uh, superstardom. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, he's Bane. That's what, like, tons of people know him as. But, like, he doesn't, he doesn't open a movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. T- Tom Hardy doesn't, like, launch a film or a franchise, really. You know, so like you, you look to Mad Max and, and Fury Road and you're like, this could be it. Like he's like Mad Max now and this is like a generational thing. Like people mm. will like the the relaunch and like now he's taking over an iconic role that Mel Gibson had, like a passing. Maybe he's that new star. I don't feel like I left the movie thinking that about him though, which is kind of like concerns me because I do really like Tom Hardy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, kinda, what is that? What is that movie that's going to like make him... I'm wondering the if the star. I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yeah. Part of me feels like it maybe it'll never happen. Maybe he'll be like I I think of he's in the same category as like Fastbender. Mm-hmm. To me. Like great that, that that's great that's pretty fucking, fair. Like I think. The acting circles around a lot of people. I think that's fair. Maybe yeah. not being that superstar. Most people that know him know him for something like Bronson, or they know him because they knew who he was when they saw Inception and they liked yeah. seeing him in that. But you're right, he hasn't quite had that No, he bounces between these two worlds, like where I feel like there's a part of me that believes that he doesn't want to be that star anymore. Yeah, so maybe like he never will be. I, I was just curious what your take was because like Maybe he could I, be I, in the reboot of The Counselor. I'm surprised he wasn't in the other other one already. Um, I was just curious what your take was because I mean I I, I'm a I'm a big Tom Hardy fan for many reasons, not just because I think like you know Mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that like him. He's a good looking dude. Like guys want to hang. He's he's a badass. Whatever. He's he's one of those actors where you you start talking about the movie. Nobody knows who he is initially. Then you talk about the movies that he's in, and then they oh Oh, he's that that person. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was in he was in that movie. Oh shit, he was in that. Oh shit. Oh, I know who he is, and they don't know his name. So yeah, there's an awareness, but there's not like an automatic like star quality. Well, I knew his name before I really had much of a picture of who he was, and people were excited about him, and so I had the opposite effect of like it catching up on me. But either way, I know, I mean, the reason I hesitated when you asked Steve is because it's like, yeah, it's a good question. Like, did I feel like, oh, he just inhabited the role of this character in this film? Yes. Yes. Did I walk out of it going, that's Mad Max? When I, most of the, the only other image I can think of other than that one where he's walking down the length of the, 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 the rig and he's kind of walking towards the camera, that opening shot with the car in the foreground and him yeah. standing where he's like, but that's not his face. That's just a silhouette. And yeah. in that moment, I think that what's carrying me into that moment as iconic is the baggage of all those images of Mad Max sure. where he's yeah. kind of silhouetted or he's standing on the road and he just looks so I, perfect. You know, it's interesting. It's yeah. a very, I, I mean, I, I guess for that reason, it'll be interesting to see if in the next film they follow that trend. If they do another one, if they follow that trend of him kind of serving someone else's story Maybe it will never matter if he's not 
You know what I mean? Yeah. It, but it would be interesting to see what would be the story that would make this character be front and center that wouldn't kind of break the rules of this character because part of his deal is that he's he's a loner and he's he's committed to kind of wandering ba- the wilderness. You basically, know? he's be, he, he he's made to be a legend. Yeah. I mean, that's right. kind of what I buy into with and any each of, of the first movies. three movies. Kind of yeah, does that exactly, you know? and I like that. And I think and I and I buy this movie does the same thing. Yeah. Like I had no doubt that like that town now. We'll see him, and he's going to tell she, stories about and Max. She, and yeah, yeah. and Furiosa will 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 you know perpetuate like a story about this figure that helped this happen. Like, yeah, I, I buy that completely, hundred yeah. percent. So you know, if that if that's the if that service is a story, then maybe that's all it is. Maybe you just need to see another one with him, and it just like your, I mean, the Bond example is a great example mm-hmm. because you saw one, it was like really solid, and you're like, okay, yeah, I buy it, I buy it, and like I probably am somebody who would say I, he's my favorite Bond. But after two or three. Would we maybe now be able to say, like after the first Daniel Craig movie that might have felt silly, even though Casino Royale was great. Yeah. Would you have said that after the first, I mean, a lot of people were saying, oh, best Bond ever. But you know what I mean? The, you can't really have the conversation that's until what he's I, done that, more. That, that's maybe what when I mean. he's done a couple more I, Mad Max movies, we'll have this, oh, now I pay, now this yeah. is Mad Max. This I, is absolutely. my Mad Max. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Maybe. I think Tom Hardy, what I, okay, so do you think, would you consider Channing Tatum a superstar? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'll take Channing Tatum and say, I think that Tom Hardy is doing a different thing. And I'll say, I think he's going more of the road of like Leonardo DiCaprio in the way that he really just wants to service a good script over being a sex symbol in whatever it is. Anymore. Yeah. Anymore. He had his moment. Yeah. Leo. But had, Tom Hardy's still in the middle of his moment, but I yeah. know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 very apparent by seeing his choices in movies that he's not trying to service an idea of like I agree with you. being a sex symbol. No, no, he's not. So it doesn't seem of interest to him at all. I, I wouldn't be surprised if he just kind of made these incredible films and didn't try to push himself forward as you know. Because yeah. I mean, because Tom Hardy could take some roles that could put him right ahead. I feel, I feel like that's where he was going when I, like he was like linked to Suicide Squad and everything. It, it right, seemed like right. there was like a like like that would have been two pretty big possible franchise movies right. within like a year of one year well, yeah, a year of one another. I would hate to see him wrapped up in franchises and that kind of film. However, I think what makes an actor like him really interesting is how they can walk in both worlds and do the interesting yeah. small films and be the biggest star in the world. And he might be the type of guy that could actually do that. I think he can, which I is why I'm too. so curious. No, I feel like, I feel I feel like, like he's he one of our guys. I feel yeah, like Tom no, Hardy's one of our guys, yeah. and he's doing this. Yeah, he can hang. Yeah, right. Yeah, he can hang. <laughs> we should have a decision. All these we, we have such boy crushes on all these actors that we have to one day like plot a, 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 a like a barbecue with all of our right. all the guys we've repped for. So let's see, yeah. we've got Swanberg, we've got Ben Stiller. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Tom Cruise Krubes. if he shows up. Uh, Tom Cruise probably comes early and brings cookies for people, but doesn't eat anything or drink anything, <laughs> yeah. and then leaves. Um, has someone come? We've get got him. Uh, we got uh, Affleck. We've got Affleck. We've got Gyllenhaal. We've got Gyllenhaal. Beast. Um, I don't know. We got we, we, maybe Idris. Hill? I gotta say, I'd say it because I'm black, but yeah. Idris Elba. Nah, I'm down with him. Uh, cool. No, d- don't hate to say that. I should because I fucking love. Well, that I was about to say we've got to get somebody black in there, so I'm glad that I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom Hardy, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's in good company. It's yeah. yeah, man, it's 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 something. It's super exciting to see him in this movie, but it's also super exciting to think about all the stuff he has coming in the future. And even like, even if he does a sequel to Mad Max, like 
seeing how his character evolves through that. I, I just, well, my hope, my hope would be if they do a second one that. Because I've heard that they've talked about doing a Furiosa film. I would hope that that would be totally separate. Yeah, I agree. And that Mad Max is you know, off on his own new yeah. adventure. And if at the beginning of this new one he has the car and the dog, and it turns out his he never had a kid. You know what I mean? I don't care how they change yeah. the story if they keep intact that notion of this kind of guy on the edge who's 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 like determined not to take part in what's going on around him. You know, right. I think that's a really interesting a really interesting way to treat this kind of character, which yeah. I guess a lot of a lot of times you have the strong silent type kind of guy. He's kind of like the man with no name sort of yeah. thing. Felt like Drive. The way the way yeah. that I felt yeah. when yeah. I saw Drive is the same way I felt when I saw this movie. Just like I, I was watching something new. Yeah. Even if it was something that had been done before. Well, isn't that it's, strange that this is a sequel to a film from 30 years ago? Felt so fresh. by a 70 year old man, and it feels like something new. Yeah. I mean, I think that's one of one more reason that's what's why most impressive about this that, is a really yeah. odd really thing, you know. I, and I think maybe that's what I'm getting at, Steve, with diminishing returns is as good as they could make a follow up to a movie that everyone gets bowled over by. It's 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 like even if the next one, it's like the, you know that backlash is going to come, or that character that people don't like, yeah. or something is going to come. This movie does not have any. I mean, I really can't think of any of those elements that would normally make a movie make you kind of roll your eyes. It really doesn't have any of them. Yeah. Right down to the fact that there are these weird surprising events, like the when the when the pregnant uh, bride uh, I keep calling them bribes, but the pregnant wife um, when she. When she falls to her death, like I didn't expect that to happen yeah. at all, yeah. you know. Yeah. And then the reveal that she was carrying a, a healthy baby and that it was like perfectly healthy and didn't have any deformity or something, yeah. and you realize how significant that would be. Um, but then you realize that 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 kid would be there to prop up this awful, uh, awful paternalistic society. So probably we're not supposed to be sad for for Immortan Joe in that moment. But but <laughs> yeah. I did find that like. That gave him a little bit of pathos, and even Rictus Erectus, the way he's like, "I had a baby brother, brother. and he was perfect." Yeah, you know? I really like, like that scene. Nah, dude, yeah. that movie's so good. It's so full of moments, and I've read where he said they they trimmed back. You know, they, they had ideas, they had explanations, they had all these backstories for everything, and they didn't put it in. I'm, you know, I guess maybe we're not obligated to read the comics or whatever. So in that sense, maybe it's possible to say that this movie can hold on to that kind of sense of letting you fill in the blanks. But mm. I do I do hope that as they go forward, they I hope they're aware that that's one of the things that makes these movies fun is that you're not that you are kind of putting the pieces together as you go and you're not stopping and having all this time to explain and to, you know, have a a woman in a cave tell you the story of why all these kids are are there and stuff like that. Like I hope they've learned that lesson that part of what people love about this movie is the non-stop aspect of it. But mm. Because yeah. that would be what I expect now from the next one would just be yeah. smart nonstop action. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Well, guys. Yeah. Well, wow. That was a long episode. It was. Smash Max. Smash Max really Max. took us. We reviewed the four movies. Yeah, I mean, we kind of did. We how kinda epic did. is that? Huh? How epic is that? That's very epic. Fucking four movies. You could say that this podcast is is like what is it now? Thirty six years in the making. Yeah. Forty. <laughs> no, thirty six years in the making. To the schmacks. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> I just didn't feel good. Are we doing like a to the max? Like yeah. Me? yeah. To the max? Or... I don't know. Well, it's gotten late while we've been sitting here. <laughs> it's all right. Yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I had you know, a... Ronald, the, the, you kind of oozing energy is always, you know, like when, when I go back later and edit this, I'll get to that part and I'll be like, oh, I wish I could go and turn up a knob on Ronald's track that's <laughs> just like loser. the energy knob. Yeah. <laughs> Is it your blood sugar that's getting low? Yeah, I haven't eaten. Yeah. I haven't eaten dinner. So I'm like trying to figure out what I can eat tonight that won't like 
I don't know. Give me a heart attack in a couple years. I think about stuff like that now. Yeah. Yeah. I really want something good. What can you eat this late that's good, but... I run into that problem every time. Every time you guys leave, I'm hungry. And I go up there and I eat some god-awful thing yeah. out of the freezer. I sauteed some broccoli last night. I was so proud of myself. It's amazing, the... man. Yeah, man. But I, I really want something like... Like a... So what I like to do when I eat terribly... <laughs> I'll get a I, I'll eat a big I'll get a Big Mac except I don't eat fish. Yeah. I mean I don't eat meat, so I'll get them to put fish in there instead oh, nice. with That's all smart. the regular Big Ooh. Mac stuff. You should try that it. Good. It's, it does it's sound fucking good. delicious. Wow. They get confused. I don't know how why they say, get confused. How, how do they respond to Just that? Just a Big Mac with fish, and they're like, "What? Uh, a Big Mac with fish? The same things that you put in a bit, except replace the the, the the protein." Yeah. So good. I'll try that. Like you should. That. It's delicious. So when you uh, when you eat broccoli, do you like it, do you like it a little crispy or do you like it soft? Because you know you can boil I like it a little crunchy. You can boil it to the point where it's so soft that it's like this is cafeteria food. But yeah, if it's too I don't crispy, like it. I, I if it's I mean I like raw broccoli, but I don't like like crispy cooked broccoli. Yeah. Do you have a vegetable steamer? No. Like the tray you set in. No, the I just put on the pan. I would invest in one. The key that I found mm-hmm. is to steam the broccoli for like a minute and a half. Mm-hmm. On a boiling mm-hmm. pot, then remove the broccoli and then saute it. Oh. It's more porous, so it, it takes in whatever sauce you're marinating in. You teaching me? You teaching me lessons? Yeah, dude. Oh, we man, should hang some time. We can cook. Impressed. Yeah. Impressed. Yeah. We it's should. one of those cool little things. Like you open it up and it opens up like a flower. And you oh, put wow. it in the pot and it closes up around the broccoli. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I've so seen good. those things before. Yeah, dude. You need Shit, to invest. Boss, in I need to. I need to step my cooking. That'll game be up. a good follow up to your. Uh, Filet-O Big Mac. Yeah. Oh, man. I need a Filet-O Big Mac now. <laughs> I'm going to have a Filet-O Big Mac with this delicately steamed broccoli. Yeah, it's buddy. perfect. It balances out. You'll feel yeah. better about yourself later that night. <laughs> just put it on the plate next to it. Yeah. It'll look better. Even. Immediately you feel right. better. Yeah. Immediately. Okay. Like, this dude likes to... It, it's like the equivalent of a mullet. It's like you have party on one side, and you have, like, this is legit right here. It's a nice balance. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Okay, now, yeah, now we're all hungry. No, now so we're all hungry, funny. and I'm picturing his... Terrible Uber mullet from Beyond Thunder. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Let's so wrap bad. it up. I like yeah. that. That's so bad. All right, guys. Episode one thirty five. Thanks for listening. You can uh, subscribe in iTunes. Listen to us on Mixcloud. Um, I think we still have Mix Mixcloud. I think we're like running out of space, or they were down, or something. Yeah, it was down. Week. We we're still. We're, Are we breaking their servers with all of our streams? Yeah, that's um, that's it. You can email us at movieshootme at gmail.com with any show ideas. But thank you so much for listening. And as always, you've you made us. You've made us gay. You may, you've also made our day. Uh, yeah, that too. At the end of the day, you've also made us Yeah. Yeah. So it goes together like that. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> On the licorice ride, motorbikes and leather men take me to the edge of the dream. 